Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close... You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. So the atmosphere is good. You like? I mean, love it. Beautiful. Couldn't be better. Should have had a fire going. We good? Feel you got the machine on? Machine's on. It's amazing. Fires in Texas. <laughs> Technology. Oh, Phil records everything too. Phil could make the worst. Phil could destroy careers. He can make the best of us seem like the worst. The worst seem like the best. <laughs> the worst of us seem like but, the best. But he won't. That's the beauty. He he I'm playing the long game here. <laughs> we, we need that part about Billy Joel and that intro. Man, oh, that for was sure. Beautiful. Uh, I'm dying to know about Billy Joel. Can you got to watch Hired Guns. <laughs> okay. well, it's, it's, uh, uh, the stars can really... The lure to prick world is... <laughs> Is is overwhelming. Once you get catered to and you have people service and you don't have to order your own room service and they know how much cream you want in your coffee, all of a sudden you go, hey, give me some of that. I just sit back here and indulge and get bored and then end up getting high and then they're drooling and then dying or just becoming a prick. So there's, there's an indulgence. There's a pathway to it. Huh? There's a self-inflicted <laughs> indulgence curse in the world of celebrity. They should hmm. all bow hunt because the deer don't give a shit how many platinum albums I got. It really boils down to that. That's awesome. Mm. As you can hear, ladies and gentlemen, we're joined today. <laughs> we're, we're in Texas, joined today by Mr. Ted Nugent, as we call in Michigan, Uncle Ted. Uncle Ted. It, this is not... A, a, we got to do a few things up top, but I want to just, just to set the stage here. This is not the first time. You would know this. 
This is not the first time you and I were in the same room together because, well, only because of this reason. Because I am a two-time alum of the Whiplash Bash. Then no wonder you glow. So you have the spirit. <laughs> the spirit emanates from your very skeleton. The 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 most memorable uh, the most memorable Whiplash Bash I went to is memorable to me because you threw out into the crowd a Meat. bag of venison jerky. Meat venison mm. jerky. Yes, my friend, my late friend, very close friend of mine that I graduated from high school with, Eric Kern, gra- caught a piece of jerky. Awesome. He and I... Uh, a shared, real Nugent fan, by the way. When you can catch jerky, that's a legitimate Nugent fan. Shared. You know what? Maybe I'm making that up. He wound up with a chunk of the jerky. Whether he picked it off the floor <laughs> or, or caught it. Or if you steal it from somebody else, no, no, that's no, no, awesome. No, 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 no. no he, he recovered the jerky. <laughs> we split the, the jerky. jerky. <laughs> and that, you might not remember this. The, that night, you had the... Uh, your opening act for that Whiplash Bash was the band Jackal. I do remember with the chainsaw. Yeah. And they had that very popular lumberjack song with the chainsaw yep. solo. Mm-hmm. Had to be huge in Michigan. Yep. He came out. There was full frontal nudity on his part. Uh, he came out, did the chainsaw solo. You shot your bow. Yep. Then here's what this gets especially good. Interesting. I, I, it was either that year or the year before, but then you went on to get arrested in Ohio for shooting your bow in city limits. In a flaming arrow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Which I had done at that. I don't know if you got arrested, but you got reprimanded. Oh, I got arrested. I was taken away in handcuffs. It's a great story. <laughs> please, the details t- of this story are fascinating. Please tell us. I have yeah. to say this is hey, public speaking did you 101. Get some of the know jerky? your audience. Yep. Know your crowd. Oh. Well, better than that, so, the audience you, should know your celebrity. Because now, uh, just I want you to tell the archery story just as a teaser, like the just how you got in trouble in Ohio. But another, like I can't. So there's a few years when we were always like me or my brothers or someone was at the Whiplash Bash during the height of the Whiplash Bash awesome days. Concerts. So this is like early '90s. Yep, phenomenal concerts. So they saw one time where you went to you were shooting your bow on stage and went to shoot. Uh, I believe it was a white buffalo. Yep, giant white buffalo. Missed it. Could be. And then got on your knees and bowed to yeah. it. But then, <laughs> and but I did th- follow up with the heart shot. But then, <laughs> but then you, yeah, it was shortly after that we were appalled to hear that you then traveled out of your home state into Ohio where they didn't have the same uh, reverence for the stage antics, and you got busted for shooting your bow like discharging a weapon yeah. within city limits. It was an open flame thing, which I'm surprised. <laughs> oh, is that what it was? Which I'm surprised he didn't arrest my road manager. <laughs> he was an open flame. Um, the the stories behind each one of these incidents are fascinating because I would shoot my bow and arrow on stage, typically a flaming arrow at various targets, all the way back with the Amboy Dukes in the 1960s. And as much as the mystical flight of the arrow mistifies in the environment of outrageous cacophony and sonic bombast and screaming and tall, skinny guys with loincloths. I mean, the environment is so centrally overwhelming. And then this guy that's just saying, wang, dang, sweet poon, dang, comes out with a flaming arrow and shoots a skull off the amps. I mean, if you want an archery demonstration that imprints, I'm your daddy. Yep. The, but in this, in this series of events, I would shoot a flaming arrow on stage at a giant buffalo uh, silhouette or uh, various 3D targets. And in the Kalamazoo event, well, let's go to the uh, northern Michigan one where I missed the buffalo. So I'm up on stage, and you, you guys can only imagine the energy level and the 
the excitement within me because I love this music and you can't casually play my music and you can't casually ride a buffalo and you can't casually shoot <laughs> flaming arrows on stage in front of 20,000 people. It's all dangerously intense and I have to manage my psyche like when you're about to touch off a shot the breathing sight acquisition the halfway exhale and then boom that's a calming <laughs> moment in an otherwise excitable endeavor magnify that to a dangerous life-threatening level and that's what I go through every night on stage because I love bow and arrow I do have target panic but when I was up there in northern Michigan at the, at the uh, castle, I think it was called, up near Charlevoix, where I missed the buffalo, I got a stage bow that comes back at about 40 pounds because I'm only 20 feet from the target, and I got to come back without too much stress. Well, my assistant had shot, had dry-fired my stage bow, and it came oh. apart, so he handed me my hunting bow. And I'm shooting 34-inch arrows because they're on fire. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he hands me a bow, and it's not the right bow. So my mind's going, holy mother of God, I've got to be a good archer because it's the Whackmaster. Ooh, Mr. Ted Newton, right. Mr. And we, and we got here. some variables here. Yeah, so all yeah. of a sudden, my psyche goes, it's the wrong bow. Um, but I said, well, I'll improvise, adapt, and overcome. So I drew it back, and of course, that bow's not sighted in for a 20-yard, 20 20-foot 20 shot at a silhouette, and I shot right over him. Mm. But I did grab a second arrow and I shot him through the heart. And I, then I thought, I think I grabbed a third arrow and shot my assistant through the heart. <laughs> um, but the flaming arrow in, in, in Cincinnati was fascinating because I had shot a flaming arrow there dozens of times over the years. No problem. No, no open flame ordinance. But the, the backstory is, is celebratory. So the new fire chief, a Democrat liberal guy, an animal rights guy, brings in his guys and um, arrests me, handcuffs me for shooting that flaming arrow. Mm. Totally under control. We have wet towels. We have fire extinguishers. Believe me, I'm prepared for everything, especially dangerous possibilities. So they take me to jail. When I handcuffed behind they do my it back. After the show? Yeah, right after the he, he let us finish because you knew what happened. So it wasn't like the blues. It's like the blues brothers right. where, uh, where yeah, the, not the, on the stage, cops yeah. are standing off to the side. Of the it stage. actually is. It was very much like the orange whips. They get a free show out of it. That's yep, and they actually deal. looked like those guys um, because the cops were pissed off. They didn't want to arrest me, but they had to follow because there was an open flame ordinance. Yep, I was yep. virtually unaware of because of my history of shooting flaming arrows in this facility. I'm pleading ignorance. No whatever so they took me to jail well i go before the judge and he's another prick and he sentences me to jail and i got a concert the next night. i play every night i do concerts every night sentences you to jail that without bond put me in a cage wow so here's the here's the beauty of ted news why i love ted nugent uh, <laughs> The if, if you could speak on his behalf. If I could speak, which I do on an hourly basis, by the okay. way, intimately and knowledgeably. Um, the sheriff came to that cell and forced that jail keeper to let me out. And he said, over my dead body, will I have Ted Nugent spend a minute in my jail for all you do for clean and sober promotion and law and order promotion. And whenever a cop gets injured in the line of duty, I'm always there to raise money for their families. I have this history going back to when I was a, a late teenager. I've always been a law and order guy. So he said, over my dead body, will Ted Nugent spend any time in jail? And he cut me loose. And then mm. 
the attorneys went into it and they examined all the evidence and the charges were thrown out. Mm. My record was quashed. But that was a great experience where you get a guy that doesn't like flaming arrows or the guy that shoots flaming arrows, especially if he carries a gun and kills innocent animals. You know, that mindlessness. He, in a political position, can abuse that power. He did. And a guy who knew good over evil and right over wrong, regardless of some statute. Now, I'll, I'll give you an offshoot here. So a deer is caught in a fence and a coyote has already eaten half of his ass and he's struggling and traumatized and suffering. I'm going to call somebody? I'm not going to call somebody. It's illegal for me to shoot that deer. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shoot that deer. I break the law. I break immoral laws. If it's an immoral law and an unjust law, especially as a cop, if it's an oath-violating law, I'm not obeying it. So in these instances, there is a, a, a higher level of right over wrong. I happen to have mucho confidence that I know what that level is, and that, that sheriff did. For but, example, but, uh, uh, we'll, we'll return to this. When, I, when I kill Sandhill we'll Cranes this, in Michigan, I, I that, eat them. Like, that, that, that dispatching a, a deer, suffering, su a suffering deer, is a certain moral plane. And firing flame and arrows on stage is a different moral plane. After after twenty years of doing so, yep, okay. I think there I where, think there is a parallel. There. Where <laughs> I, that that falls. and I'm I'm going to take you on a journey to exciting parallels <laughs> to here. the center of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is I wrote it and come, I meant it. Come along if you can. Yeah. What a come, great song! I yeah. was eighteen. Listen, we were reviewing that song last night. Were you? That's a well, great well, song. We reviewed that only guitar this part way. because I was trying to I was I was I was giving sort of I was giving Corinne. Sort of a, a crash course in all things Nugent, and I was inviting oh, not her, all things. Believe me, I, I was inviting her to reconcile your your lifelong advocacy for abstemiousness. Yep, one hundred percent juxtaposed with the lyrics of "Come along with you can to the center of your mind," which one might think was a call to do hallucinogenics. What a great, what a great story! <laughs> you want the story? It's a phenomenal, there's, there's no and it is a here. juxtaposition, and I can latch the two in a seamless joint. <laughs> oh, please, I still want to ask you how he makes fiery arrows. My, my next oh, question is, no, how, do, we, that. how do you my make a flaming arrow? My friends have always been, how could Nugent be abstemious if he's inviting people to go to the center of their mind? There was a movie called Journey to the Center of the Earth. Oh. And when you're a songwriter, especially when you're a teenager, you kind of grasp on colloquialisms and terms and maybe movie statements or sure. other song titles. Or shit Nugent says. <laughs> and when you're a bow hunter, your, your, uh, your radar is more expansive than the average hippie you collaborate with. So <laughs> when, when Steve Farmer, which, on was, a which was a collaborative hippie I was collaborating with, um, he was stoned. I had no idea because when I was growing up, it was... Bows and arrows, stalking the Rouge River, learning Chuck Berry music, and girls. <laughs> I had no idea why the Cheshire Cat was grinning in Alice in Wonderland <laughs> and that that was a bong. Are you guys, am I, have I lost no, anybody I, I know, Yeah, no, I'm, I'm familiar with all that. Okay, thank, yeah. thank, good. We're in a good uh, arena here. I had no idea. I didn't know what marijuana was. I performed at U of D and Catholic Central pool parties and sock hops and the beatniks, this was pre-hippies, with the beret, almost Dobie Gillis kind of stuff. Um, and, and I had no idea what dope was. So when Steve Farmer wrote Journey to the Center of the Mind, I went, well, that's a great play on words of that movie title. And I think a person probably should sit back once in a while, like I do every deer season, and examine where he's going in life and review his mindset 
and his dreams and his goals. Yeah. Doesn't surprise anybody here, I suspect, mm-hmm. or anybody else that has a brain. Uh, so I went along, come along if you care. Come along if you dare. Take a ride to the journey. Uh, Land journeys. inside of your mind. And, yeah. Yeah. Made perfect sense. I had no idea there was a chemical warfare component to that until I caught Steve drooling and, and eventually throwing up and stumbling, which solidified my hatred for chemical warfare upon oneself. I hate it. I hate people that intentionally destroy their level of awareness and intentionally slither into the liability column instead of the Mm -hmm. asset column. That's what drugs and alcohol do to you. Case closed. Keith Richards notwithstanding. Great guy. Um, So I developed a hatred for that, witnessing my fellow musicians who I so revered and so pursued a united dream of musical adventure and creativity until they started puking and dying and uh, i just and again it goes back to my bow hunting nobody drunk or stoned kills a deer with a bow and arrow virtually impossible well, you, i know one guy named rick <laughs> he must he must hunt <laughs> south texas because they're really dumb deer down there um the point is is that i had no idea when they when they showed me the cover of Journey to the Center of the Mind, I saw this, I thought it was blown glass. You know how you make vases and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and little trinkets oh, out of blown? Bon, a bong? Yeah, I had no idea yeah. what they were. Have you been asked this question before? Thousands of times. Okay. I had no idea what they were because I was so into my organic cravings for guitar, music, bow hunting, and girls. What a, that's the... What, what do they call that down in uh, uh, Louisiana, the, the, the trinity. trifecta? The, tr- uh, the, the trinity for the food? Yes, that's yeah. the trinity for my American dream. <laughs> what is it again? It's uh, The holy trinity. It's uh, celery, on uh, and onions, and uh, peppers. The bell pepper, yeah. and yeah. The, the Pope's hat is the garlic. So yeah. with, yeah, that's a foursome. That would be the, I do have a foursome. She's upstairs. Um, so yeah, that was my goal. I had, I'm so happy that I never understood or pursued the puke lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I just, I, it's ruined everybody's lives. I, I read recently that you have, I think you had said this somewhere, that you have taken to having a, a little red wine now and then. I do, I absolutely. Really? Since I met Shemaine, um, and, and I, wine, after a modicum of research, it's good for you. Yeah. It's actually good for you. And my, my sons, my, my brother, my sister, my friends, and my band, my crew, they drink beers and they, they have a sundowner and they have a whatever. Sammy yeah. Hager's got his whatever that stuff is. Tequila. Um, yeah. And as long as we can communicate and, that, and the drool and the stumbling doesn't occur, <laughs> you can do whatever you want to do. I have friends that smoke dope. And I, I've got friends that I got to stop smoking dope. Eddie Van Halen, his first call after rehab was to me to thank me. No shit. For constantly pounding on him that you're ruining your life. You've got this gift. You're ruining it. You're ruining the people around you. And I'm, I'm hardcore. I don't know if you noticed that about me. But I've helped people get clean and sober by showing them that you want fun, you want crazy. I'm the bar. I've set the bar for fun and crazy without outside stimuli. It's inside of me. God gave us whatever we need to do whatever we want every day. And it doesn't come in a bottle. 
It comes from the guts. It comes from the spirit. And I've always promoted that. So if you go to my Facebook and witness the number of people that I've impacted to become clean and sober and to pursue sobriety, I'm very, very proud of that. Okay. Clay, flame and arrows. Go ahead. And then I got to do the stuff I got to do. Okay. And then we're going to come back in. We're going to come back in hard with Deadly Ted. We're going way back into our conversation, but I have a real functional question. I can go there. About how do you shoot, what, 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 what do you use to make a flaming arrow? Well, I had to pursue that with the people at Easton Arrows because I was hired one time to shoot the opening arrow um, like the Olympic archer did for okay. the International Olympics one time. Remember that? How yeah. Yep. Awesome. Beautiful. Hold on, you actually shot the Olympic arrow? I did in the Michigan Olympics. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they, they hired me, so I didn't. Because when I shot my flaming arrows on stage, I'd get a full length. Back then, it was cedar arrows, and I'd have to get full length. Well, that before sounds they were dangerous. Orford, yeah. But we'd wrap it in... in uh, 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 cotton and Brillo pads and soak it in lighter fluid. And, <laughs> really? And the, uh, I'd, I'd hold the bow and the arrow, and my, my brother John, God rest his soul, God, we <laughs> some stories I could tell you. It's just, I've had so much fun, I'm almost guilty. Um, and they'd light this flaming arrow, and we'd, I had, I'd, Shot a vulture one time from my Yamaha with my 44 Magnum. I shot the vulture and the taxidermist mounted it. It's all illegal so far. Uh, I hope there's statutes of limitations on this podcast. And we had that vulture mounted with wings spread out. We put a backlight mm. on you. Don't know how cool that would look with some smoke on stage. How rock and roll is that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my brother would set up those uh, styrofoam heads that ladies put their wigs on overnight. And we'd, we'd put like a skeleton look to it, and he would put lighter fluid inside it, and we'd get some kind of feathers in various methods and stick them out of the skull. So it was really graphic, and that's that kind of rock and roll imagery that like the heavy metal guys use. And I'd draw that arrow back, but I'd have to shoot it fast. This is all with recurves and longbows. And I'd shoot that skull off the app, and the vulture would fall. And people didn't know whether to shit or go blind. <laughs> this guy's got a bow and arrow on stage. It was awesome. So but the eventually, flame, the flame wouldn't go out. No, but eventually, when I did it, and I prowled the stage more in an extent, more than a moment or two, mm. that had to keep going. And I, I think I might have some of those arrows here. But Easton made me some forty-inchers that they put a little cone on to reduce the air flowing onto the flame, so it would last longer. Mm. Oh. that's how they did the. They made the Olympic arrow for the the International Olympics, and they made me a bunch of those. Mm. And so it would have a little cone to protect the flame from the the wind drift. And again, we'd wrap it with uh, uh, Brillo pads and and cotton and dowser it okay it's so graphic because that i talk mystical flight of the arrow which is why i've always used big feathers white feathers and i always use white arrows like ben pearson howard hill fred bear they always, always shot white arrows because mm. the the archery is the arch and you should witness the arch and instinctive shooting you have to you have to imprint uh, those see. arches. The part of the white arrow was visual. Yes, and so with the flaming oh. arrow, it's so See, graphic. you're speaking to Cal because Cal still uses uh, old-timey bows. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I, I, so it's so clay. powerful. You, you know what, Cal, and I mean, what? I, yeah, shoot traditional archery. I mean, not, not when I've been hunting with you. Yeah, I mean, I come in and out of it, but yeah, I've done well, a Cal lot stay, of traditional Cal's sticking thin. The more you shoot instinctive, old, I won't call them uh, traditional because I'm as It doesn't matter what kind of bow is in my hand. I'm purely traditional. 
wind, sun, spirit, stealth, higher level of technical, tactical awareness. But the more you shoot an old-fashioned bow, instinctive, the next time you shoot your compound, you'll be the best shot you've ever been with a compound because there's something about that muscle memory and under a full tension without the reduction and getting that string to roll off those fingers. Right about here, there's no Joe Biden. Right about here. <laughs> it's true. Is it true? You're, you're saying you're clear in your mind. Yes. Oh, yeah, journey yeah, to, yeah. Oh, journey that's to what you're the doing. center. As you pull back, your your irritations, Everything goes your away. irritations about yeah. Biden dissipate. Believe me, when I head towards my <laughs> bow rack, the irritations are gone. By the way, the ultimate use of the term irritation is that my spirit irritates their demons. Skull. <laughs> Ted, really quick, we're getting some beard rub. So if you I, suspect, kinda... I bet you are. That's cool. That's like organic. There you go. It's true, yeah. <laughs> Beard uh, boy, I can tell you some stories can I, about that. Can, can I jump to the uh, my my high school when we were talking about the sobriety? Yeah, oh yeah, can you yeah, do yeah. That real quick. No, that's great. Okay, so and, and, and here's the plan. Here's the plan. You do that. You do that. I'm gonna do some things I need to do. We're gonna come Steve, back. We're in. not. We're not getting to the agenda. So, Phil, are you are you we're editing gonna, this mess? I am. Yeah. Oh, no, no, nothing so far needs to be edited. We're going to come back in. I wouldn't edit out anything. And I'm going to refer to a, a what I took to be, in a previous conversation, a crossbow gesture you made. Yes, I did. And hold it. We're going to come back. Good, we should. But Cal has another near, a Nugent near miss. Yeah. So it, Almost got you. High school, like, pep rally. Okay. And somebody had selected a Ted Nugent song. And I look Wisely over. so. Look over at, at a teacher of mine. She's kind of shaking her head. And we, we listened to probably like the height of the era in the high school Late locker 70s. room, uh, uh, weightlifting room and all that stuff, football, right? And I was like, oh, don't like Ted Nugent? And she's like, one time he came and spoke here. So apparently you had a hunt in Montana. And somebody yes. wrote yes, into speaking at our high school with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation in Missoula. Yeah, so yep. Hellgate High School, Missoula, Montana. And I, the whole, the whole speech was like thousands I've done. I do it all the time. Being clean and sober, being the best that you can be. God, family, country, Constitution, Bill of Rights, Ten Commandments, Golden Rule, Law and Order. <laughs> putting your heart and soul into being the best that you can be. That mantra actually pisses off horrible people so you were looking well, at a sound, horrible person it no, sounds no, 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 like you that's, did. Not what, that's not what made the person mad <laughs> it sounds like you came in a little hot and delivered uh the ten commandments uh god country yep. freedom uh with a lot of cussing too now, <laughs> I, might, I might have said the word shit and if god knows by the way when i when i said the word shit i think 11 children died that day how about this her priorities are askew <laughs> Well, I made. I was voted the number one dare officer in the United States of America. Drug is resistance education, and you got to know your crowd too. Not, right? not. No, you have to be honest. Yeah. I don't really give a damn about my crowd. I'm going to be honest. If my crowd has a problem with it, they're bad people. How's that? There's a general. <laughs> st I swear. So if she had a problem, if you with have a, a problem, listen to this, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you have a problem with something Ted says, you're a bad person. Yes, and let me let me let me make sure you understand that. But so the 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 presentation was about being clean and sober, and she focused on the word shit, which which connected me closer to those children that she is incapable of. She could not have saved a child's life to get off substance abuse. I did. You have a problem with Ted Nugent says you're a bad person. Your priorities are askew and you're not accomplishing anything meaningful. Eat shit and die. How's that? Oh, to Cal's teacher. She's now, a, nice that, a lot that, of teachers deserve now, that. Now, was that. She the, also ran the key club in which I was an officer, so we may want to let her slide a little now, bit. I, well, I will. By, by the way, that last statement I made is part of how I let things slide. Yeah. But that's now, my was point. Was that the punchline of the of the, your story? No. Is you know, that she was well, upset with him for cussing, or is there more? Well, I said really, the word shit. Which maybe. was really interesting to me was that was like the first time that, that somebody, she then had to explain to me, because I was like, I, I truth was like, bullshit. This guy wango tangos uh, a clean sober song. living guy yeah. i'm like bullshit <laughs> wango and, tango clean sober and uh, <laughs> and so she had to explain to me the the abstinence side better ted than dead all of that i told Cute. Corinne about better ted than dead and i just Cute I, stuff i couldn't yeah i was like it was so the thought of you? that Probably 17. Okay. The thought of that being associated with rock and roll in any sort of way was just like two ships passing in the night, like mm-hmm. not not the same thing. So that was a pretty eye-opening experience, you know? If I'm anything, I'm an eye-opener um, because I don't play status quo games. In fact, I, I stomp it every day of my life. If anything status quo is not good for you, um, any, especially in the world of what we've seen our education plummet to, and she is an indication of that. She's a manifestation of that cultural deprivation where their priorities are askew. Instead of trying to save children from the, the peer pressure lie, she's cautious about her presentation, which means the children don't believe her. And if she was involved with something positive, I salute all her positive moves. But when it comes to the street dangers of substance abuse running amok, you better have a hardcore son of a bitch deliver that message. Because if it's somebody adjusting a tie and being cautious about what they say, the kids will laugh in their face and probably smoke more dope. Hear that, Cal? Yeah. Uh, The TRCP sweepstakes. Do you feel the love? (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Uh, This year's TRCP sweepstakes has already started. Now, here's the deal. The entry period runs through April 27th. This is the this is the, we've done this a bunch of times now. The grand prize is a turkey hunt trip with me and Giannis and in Ted Michigan. That's not there. <laughs> come on, Clay. Because you say, come on. That, that's not People true. People are going to get, they're like doing that is something. Not true. I'm they're sorry. at work. They're going to pay attention for one second. They're going to be, I heard that. Yeah, come on. <laughs> so, three night, two day hunt. You and a buddy in southwestern Michigan. Go to www.trcp.org slash sweepstakes by April 27 at midnight. All donations will support TRCP's mission to guarantee all Americans quality places to hunt and fish. See official rules for details on how to enter without making a donation. That's always like a little legal thing. If I was going to become an attorney, and I I used to think maybe I would, I would Mm -hmm. focus on raffle and sweepstakes law. There is, that and get is rid the of most, 90% of them. That is the most bullshit-ridden world 
So and yes, the, and like when you're you're a little kid and you like have to buy like the, like the Captain Crunch to enter to win like a <laughs> top, top, like send a, in your box top. Yeah, and then you read or or you don't need to buy Captain Crunch. You can just write a letter. It's sweepstakes law is horrible. Regardless of donations, okay. So so go there if you if you want to learn how to enter to win the hunt without actually doing anything to support the organization there's a way around this all go to the official rules uh regardless of donation status there is a limit of 500 entries per person for the wow, entire entry period per person now i'd like to get into here's the thing there's two things i'm at a i'm, I'm torn here because i would like to talk about how much we raised through this annual event, but that would make people feel like they had a low chance of winning. So I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> but it's important. I know there's like four or five fun. people that enter every year. Four or five people enter every year. In fact, on May, we're doing last year's winners are meeting me and Yanni on the farm to hunt turkeys on May. I'm flying there on May 10 for last year's winners. But we're talking about the next group of winners. Uh, oh, also another announcement. Billings live show is May 3rd, Alberta bear theater, Billings, Montana, meat eater live, uh, Alberta bear, B A I R go to their website to get tickets. Tickets are live now. Disclaimer, not in Alberta, not in Alberta, in Billings, Montana. Yeah. Michael Hunter, the chef up in Canada said he got excited when he saw that, but then he read more <laughs> carefully and realized it wasn't in Canada. I've had a lot of Alberta, good old Alberta <laughs> boys and girls writing me letters. Alberta so. Bear Theater, Billings, Montana, May 3rd event. Uh, Cal will be there. Get your tickets now. Uh, the Land Access Initiative. When are we running the Auction House of Oddities? It's going to be middle of April, so right around April 15th. Okay, so uh, we're doing two things right now. We're, we're soliciting submissions for the land access initiative. How More long is that? hunting and fishing for America. Yeah. So if you know like the perfect spot for a boat launch, this is the, I keep throwing that example. Yeah, out. an easement from and, through private to public. Yep. Anything that provides more access to hunting and fishing for America, if you have good ideas where we could implement this, go to themeateater.com underneath conservation. There's our land access initiative, and you can submit a project or a property. This can be individuals. This can be um, state and federal agencies. If it provides more access, we're going to take a hard look at it. Hopefully, raise a bunch of money. We're going to throw in a bunch of money of our own. Last year, we raised over $70,000, or I'm sorry, two years ago, over $70,000 for uh, our first project, which was Shiloh Pond, which was... Uh, uh, a public use area that was threatened of going away forever. And now it belongs to the township of Kingsfield, Maine and is open to public access in perpetuity. You can fish it, hunt it. Wow. Good yep. for you. That's a beautiful Congratulations. spot. So. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of that out there. Yeah. Uh, another quick point. I think we're going to have to bump some stuff, Karen. <laughs> but I am going to raise this point. Clay, if you listen to Clay's show, Bear Grease, You've heard his, the Jerry, like, I think I told you about Jerry Clower. You, <laughs> you need to prove to me that you knew well, about listen, Jerry Clower before I told you about Jerry Clower. Listen, you, I, when you said that to me, so you didn't, let me, Clay a little, did an a little episode, context. We did Clay it, we did, did an did episode. It. Let me back up. 
and then we're going to get back to our guests. People are familiar with the Grand Ole Opry. Between acts at the Grand Ole Opry, there, there's a guy, Jerry Clower. He used to get up and tell like coon hunting stories. Yeah. For, at the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. That's I what grew made up it listening. grand. I grew up listening <laughs> to Jerry Clower. Yeah. And I and, think and so, I told, I think I said, if you like coon hunting, you ought to listen to Jerry Clower. And then Clay did a whole episode on Jerry Clower. And didn't in give which Steve he any credit. In which he neglected not only to. Steve is really upset He about neglected, this. To, I don't think he even brings up the fact that I grew up listening to Jerry Clower or that you should have interviewed me because I could quote any Jerry Clower story. I think See, Phil edited that part out. <laughs> no, listen. Yeah, no, bad I, content. I, you did mention Jerry Clower to me, but that wouldn't have been the claim that that was the first, you were the person that introduced me to Jerry Clower would be inaccurate. Okay. So, uh, but but now that you say that, I do remember you mentioning that one time to me. You did mention Jerry Clower. And and the Jerry Clower episode, which will have already come out now, yeah. so people would have heard it on Bear Grease, it, it came on super quick. And so, Steve, I just didn't have time. I actually thought about texting you to see if you even knew who he was. because <sighs> But because, he literally didn't have time for I'll, text. I'll already... <laughs> Uh, so fast. Uh, yeah. When you hear the episode, you'll hear me make some assumptions about people who know who Jerry Clower is, and you would not fit into that assumption. Is it Clout or Clower? Clower. C-L-O-W-E-R. He was a Southern comedian. Awesome. He was, Coon hunter. It, yeah. And he wouldn't tell. Guy. His thing was, he wouldn't tell a story that he wouldn't stand up in front of his church to tell. So he would... He would have... Yeah. He would have got arrested him, in him Cincinnati. And him and Nugent would have clashed because Jerry Clower would use no profanity as a comedian, yeah. but would tell these wonderful coon hunting stories. Now, here's how I know him. My, my mom was from the suburbs of Chicago, like which is now a suburb but was then farm country. She was a WGN, the radio station WGN. She, like, she is that had a like, country music radio station? No, talk no, radio. Talk, and talk they covered radio. the sports. So they covered, the, she was Cubs, like, Cubs right? She would, like, when she moved up to Michigan, you know, she'd be out there wrapping aluminum foil around the antenna and shit to try to be able to listen to WGN. <laughs> Clower used to now and then go on WGN to tell a story. Oh, wow. So that was my yeah. whole connection to Clower. Yeah. Yeah. Respect that he's from the South. One last thing, and we're back to our guests. <laughs> this is a burning question. I was questioning why, when you put a radio collar on a mountain lion, or whatever, why you have it pull its location every 13 hours. And I said, that's weird. Why would you not, like, it seems like most people would be like, I'm going to have it do it every 12 hours. What's the magic of every 13 hours? Heffelfinger and a bunch of other people wrote in to explain. Jim Heffelfinger says, the reason radio collars are set to record a location every 13 hours is so they are collecting locations every clock hour in the 24-hour cycle. I'll go on. I'm not following. If you set it for noon and midnight only, if you set it for noon and midnight, so on a 24-hour cycle, you only know where they are at noon or midnight, and you probably only find out where they like to bed down. If you set it for 13 hours, you get a location at 1 p.m. one day, then 2 a.m., then 3 p.m., then 4 a.m. Okay. After a month, you have locations for every hour on the clock. Then you take all those data points and analyze what you're doing at any time during the 24-hour cycle you're interested in. With turkeys, we often collect every hour during daylight hours and then pull one point at 11.59 p.m. 
to get the nightly roost location. Now on to Fred Bear. No. Now I understand. I I actually, I've got got a quick, before we get too far away from public education and Ted Nugent, I've got a public education and Ted Nugent story. Which is one of the same, by the way. Oh, you have one. I do, yeah. Oh, I've Uh, got some Ted stories. Phil Phil rarely... <laughs> Rarely speaks. Listen, up. I wasn't well, my music bring... is stimulating. <laughs> yeah, it's I true. I, w- I wasn't even going to bring this up, and I'm afraid to now that I heard you obliterate Cal's teacher. No, I didn't. <laughs> my so I went to. She was a bad person. Listen, all she did <laughs> was dedicate her life to public education. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I went to Evergreen High School in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, my first week of high school, this teacher, I'll, I'll mention his name in a sec, rolls in. You sure you, know, you want to do that? Yeah, I think I do. Uh, he rolls in, you know, he goes to the AV room, rolls in an old TV and a VCR, starts telling a story about how he used to be a songwriter in Los Angeles. His name was Randy Kate. Does that oh. name ring any bells? It for does. You? And he sticks in a v- VHS tape. I think it was probably my second day of high school. And we watched the video for a song called Tied Up in Love. Ah, uh, yes. Which he says he co-wrote. Could be. Um, okay. I don't know if I attribute that name to that song, but if he says so, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay, he was a, really proud of it. A so great piece. Don't, of, then he should give it for you guys. Just give it to him, yeah. A great piece of music uh, with Brian Howe, God rest his soul, who I hired for that album, Penetrator, in the uh, 80s. 84. And, uh, and it, uh, Brian just here passed away here a couple years ago. Just a great, great uh, British singer who ended up singing lead for Bad Company for two years and wrote their, some of their biggest songs. Um, but that song was on the Penetrator album, and it's it's a well-known song, and it's mm-hmm. a killer song. Yeah. But he did it on keyboards, which I don't care for, and I do it on guitar, which I really care for. Yeah. Yeah, good okay. stuff. Well, anyway, I just wanted to say that. Tied up in love. Yeah, it's forever. Good for, stuff. Yeah. Who, who doesn't have a Ted Nugent story? <laughs> the VHS. Come on. I've been around for seven. I don't think Corinne has a Ted okay, Nugent hey, story. Well, she does now. <laughs> if we're, if we're <laughs> doing this, I got, I, got to, I, got to, I got to tell one. It'll be so short. So, Ted, I grew up, you know, I'm in the 90s was kind of my peak time of intaking intaking, uh, outdoor media. Mm. My dad was a big bow hunter, so we watched all the Ted Nugent. Arkansas. Arkansas. Oh, Oh, yes. And so my dad's really good friend, John Mesco, they loved you guys. John had a zebra-striped Jeep. Oh yeah, Ted Nugent style zebra striped mm-hmm. Jeep. There's a lot of that. And he made one of those. And he had. He also had. So this is my dad's best friend, and you know, kind of like a second dad to me. And he also had the the Oneida Eagle. Yep. Whackmaster. Whackmaster bow. Zebra yeah. Zebra stripe. Yep. So I mean, we were we were big into all that. And, Whack them and, and stack them. And, and there really is a lot of stories. I've been around a long time. I got a big mouth. I celebrate <laughs> my life. I celebrate the American dream. I celebrate all the good stuff and condemn all the bad stuff. I'm I'm what the founding fathers wanted all Americans to be. <laughs> you can laugh all you want. Engage. No, no, engage. They, wa- they wanted us to be engaged. Gotcha, I'm engaged. Gotcha. And I'm considered radical because I'm engaged. I'm considered radical because I spotlight cockroaches who abuse power. Well, you should mind your own business. America's my business. Freedom is my business. So everybody's got a story. And if you follow me around anywhere, whether it's Whole Foods and the Pierce Nipple guys come out and want to talk about venison and 10 millimeters, or the Starbucks where you wouldn't think it was Ted Nugent country in Mill Valley, California, the purple-haired gal wants to know what kind of gun she should buy her grandma, my confidence level is dangerous, but I'm humbled by deer. 
So everybody does have a Ted Nugent story because unless you've been living under a rock, you had to have witnessed me raise hell or have fun or be a smart ass or just <laughs> live a fire-breathing freedom lifestyle. So it, it, it is, I think, a universal truism that I've left a vapor trail because I'm engaged. I'm, I'm hardcore engaged. You know, I take, they call them chemtrails these days. Chem, right. Yeah, except mine are not toxic. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so when, uh, um, for like, okay, I grew up in Michigan and I graduated high school in 1992. Okay. And it, it's it, like, and why, and wanting to come talk to you, one of the primary the reasons you've had relevance to me my whole life is uh what you meant to guys like me at that juncture like at that time in our life particularly when it came to sort of a crescendo in the fred bear era yeah where it was like we liked um we all like my friends and i we grew up hunting um and then all of a sudden, here was this person from our area who celebrated that area and just really, for, in, in a popular way, really spoke to a thing that we cared a lot about. And it was like finding uh, representation at that time. And, and just to help people understand sort of like how that like permeated cult that culture in that era is I remember one day I was driving in, I was driving out for the opening day archery season. Mm. And I was hunting this, uh, I was hunting the area of Manistee National Forest, which you know well. It was a little place on the White River. And it was probably an hour before daylight. Listening to FM radio. Fred Bear came on. And the guy's like, hey man, like I know what's going on right now with a lot of you out there and here's something for you. And in sort of the pre-morning darkness, and it hit as I was going down a two track through Manistee National Forest. He's like, you'll know what it means. And, and would roll Fred Bear. I'm talking like mainstream FM radio. It's and become... he, picked the, he, he picked his moment with like, he knew. You know, it was just like, it was. And if uh, it wasn't for me, he wouldn't have known. Probably, yeah, probably in that case. In because that case, interview... he was like a rock and roll like yeah. a disc jockey. Yep. And that was, that was back when like FM radio like had like live people sitting there making selections. But it was um it was like it was deeply impactful at that time. Deeply impactful. I want but what I want to do is it, how like it, talk about how you got tangled up in archery and what the connection to Fred Bear like who Fred Bear was and what was going on in bow hunting at that time. You mentioned earlier that uh you know the first archery season 1949. And Alabama you mentioned the first guy to legally kill a deer with a bow in Wisconsin. George. Yeah. Like, like, how did you, like, how did you get tangled up in that world? And how did you become into Fred Bear? Well, first of all, let and me. And why did he take you seriously? You know, let me uh, maximize the spotlight on your anecdote of hearing the Fred Bear song on a rock and roll radio station celebrating your very pulse at that moment. Mm -hmm. And how I've heard. Is it tens of thousands of those stories? Probably, yeah. Yep. And I have trained the otherwise anti-hunting media, rock and roll dopers, <laughs> to celebrate conservation because of that song, which was as organic and spontaneous and uncontrollable 
when that song happened as anything in life. I was born in Detroit in 1948 along the Rouge River in Detroit, which was a wildlife paradise, the pheasants and quail. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Oh, no kidding, they had quail then? Oh, my God. I, I, my essence was learning to slither onto a covey of quail like a pointing dog. And how that happened, my dad was already a follower of Fred Bear when I was born in 48. He already had a bow. I got his bow in the other room there. And we would go north every October, including October of 1949 when I was 10 months old, and, and hunt the Manistee National Forest and Ogemawat up near Standish and Hillman Hawks and up around uh, 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 Manistee. And I think every kid back then had a Daisy Red Rider BB gun episode, homemade slingshots. I, everybody made homemade slingshots. Um, everybody made a homemade bow and arrow. I mean, where I, w- I was in Detroit, but the, everybody made a bow and arrow. Go down to the Rouge River and cut down a sapling and flex it for, and get a baling twine and bend it and cut some other ones and try to get them straight and shoot those arrows. I think it's as primal a calling as exists. It's probably projectile management slash sex. You need to propagate and you need to protect and feed. It's as, it's as raw as your breath. And because my dad was a bow hunter, and because of that era following World War II, my God, what a positive, glowing, good over evil universal celebration where we crushed the Nazis because the GIs had freedom to come home to, which made their warrior spirit more dangerous, more wonderful. And the work ethic, the community, the the pride of accomplishment, and the forced pride of accomplishment by, by my dad. What a son of a bitch. It was a pain in the ass growing up, but boy, did it pan out. Was he a veteran? Yes, World oh, War II okay. and Korea. Huh. Uh, U.S. Uh, Army Cavalry Drill Sergeant, and he never stopped. <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> Anyhow, so the discipline of gun safety, the discipline of instead of bumbling into a covey of quail, but learning to walk slower, and this looks like perfect quail habitat. I think I'll get down on the ground now and see if there's any quail over there. And then I would literally snake and learn the lessons that that your teacher missed that <laughs> cause and effect. She was poor bad. woman. Lady. Poor woman. Or she well, was from no, Boston. No. With, all, with all due respect, she, she missed out on it. She never slithered up on a covey of quail. I'm sure she had lessons in cause and effect. But nothing more emphatic at that mushy-brained youth of mine, you're mushy-brained and you're picking up on information if your parents nurture and discipline you to pick up on information because you can't make the same mistake twice or it'll knock your block off. You ever heard that term before? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It goes with nose to the grindstone and all that kind of stuff that I think is illegal now. So my discipline by my dad and the natural rewards of discipline hitting that pheasant before it flushed and on occasion hitting it when it did flush i mean that was so gratifying so so hallelujah of a moment i take that quail home i killed and my dad showed me how to pluck it and sometimes skin it and fillet it and gut it and cook it what incredible lessons for life itself and the, the gratification factor of 
going from a homemade bow and shooting the occasional chipmunk to actually getting a, a, a fiberglass bear bow with real arrows. Are you kidding me? Because we didn't have any money. We, we lower middle class, but frugal and prioritized, which means that you're better than rich people. But you essentially went from a Red Rider BB gun to a 300 Win Mag at yeah, that point, right? Overnight. Right? <laughs> no, like, not really. Not really. I was so and remained so engrossed uh, in the mystical flight of the arrow that I have sniper rifles, and when I have to kill more animals, I pull them out. But I am so, at 73.5 years, I'm more titillated than I was as that kid, which is a gift because I've been clean and sober, so my my sensual radar is still real touchy. I consider my entire life to be a purple rim dick and the slightest breeze, <laughs> the slightest breeze come to attention. How am I doing? Uh, certainly right, paints so a picture. Anyhow, I get it. So anyhow, so anyhow, I am, I am raw and pure because I've been clean and sober. I have no tainting. Um, and so in that era, we'd go north. You're... I'll try not to cry. Okay. We'd go north and stop in Grayling. I was this little boy. And here's this kind of dull yellow cinder block shack that Nels Grumley. Nels Grumley? No. Original boyer of Fred Bear that left Detroit and went to Grayling in 38, 48, whatever the year was. Bear Archery. Little shack, maybe the size of this room. Were those guys making, those guys were at it in those years? Yeah. Yeah. Like producing bows to sell. Because they saw Hunting with the Bow and Arrow by Saxon Pope and Art Young at the Detroit Theater that that documented the Ishii education phenomena as Roy Weatherby, God bless him, developing long-range ballistic capability beyond the 30-30. Aim small, miss small. That's exciting. I love it. I lived at, I'm surprised I didn't have surgery on my eyeballs to put crosshairs in there. I love crosshairs. I love trigger squeeze, and I love the ballet of marksmanship. I get to train with Delta Force and shoot 1,000-yard stuff, and it whew, it's so challenging and fulfilling. We'd stop at this little shack, and I didn't know, because it started when I was a year old. But by the time I was four or five, and I'm already cruising the Rouge River with homemade bows and arrows, so I'm already naturally fascinated by projectiles. I made my own slingshots, and I was murdered. I I think I had the Songbird Grand Slam by the time I was seven. (laughs) I had a blind right next to the bird feeder. I learned early. And found um, it was highly productive. Highly productive, yes. We're going to kill birds. Let's go by the bird feeder. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we'd meet this tall, lanky, funny gentleman, easygoing, slow f- f- guy. And eventually I'm going, that's Fred Bear. That's the guy on True Magazine with a polar bear. Met him where? At, at his little bear archery shack. In okay. 19, Grayling. probably as early as 52, 53. Um, and so eventually, like just going in there, just my dad, on their way my to dad, go hunting. my dad would stop and visit with him. But, but this is, you're not even touching professional music land at this point. No, I'm playing guitar. Well, by the time I was six, I was beaten on a guitar. So uh, the bow and arrow, 
outdoor fascination. And again, you don't stalk quail when you're four or five, but the time I was six or seven, I never played ball or I, nope. went, I played a little hockey in the Rouge River and I did little league stuff, but I couldn't wait to get to the river with my bow and arrow and my slingshot. So now I'm getting to be seven or eight years old and I'm actually following my dad in the national forest with a bow and arrow. Um, I, obviously I couldn't kill anything, but it was a, a an, an imprinting lifestyle. Well, now I'm realizing this guy we're stopping at the Grayling restaurant having cherry pie and chocolate milk with, that's Fred Bear. That's like my bow hunting Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. and I get to hang with him. And every year, eventually my dad, who went from working for Ma Bell on Losher in Grand River, <laughs> I remember all this stuff, um, and to go to Miller's Feed Store. Hold on, explain what Ma Bell is. Ma Bell was the original AT&T. Okay. A phone company. So this New is technology. him post-military. Yeah, just yeah. just after the crank phone, and now we can dial him. I, I go way back, man. Yeah. Um, so the, the crank to dial phone, it played a role in my fascination with going from homemade bows to the to the fiberglass recurve to meeting Fred Bear. And of course, when you had two cedar arrows back then with real fletching, you hung as an arsenal. <laughs> it was like a high-capacity quiver back then. And here's Fred Bear with a wall full of arrows, and he's, he's experimenting with this lathe, with this lamination, the gooey glass and the fiberglass and the wood layers. He invented the, the, uh, the, the layering of those components to for improved cast of his artistic recurves, his beautiful pieces of wood craftsmanship and he was such a fun guy funny guy smart ass as i grew older i realized he's funny guy and then my dad went from working for the phone company to represent the Udahome swedish steel company um and their specialty was rolled tempered blue spring steel bear razor insert mm-hmm. and he negotiated with fred and so now the the steel company from Sweden that my dad represented now made the bleeder blades for the famous bear razor heads. So now they had a business connection. And so they would hunt the quarter sections up there after, you know, the timbering company denuded Northern Michigan and that habitat that grew up from the over harvesting of timber, the total harvesting of timber, perfect wildlife habitat, everything, all wildlife benefited from this new, yeah, fresh, accessible. Growth. I mean, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So these lessons are these lessons are going into my brain in spite of the anti-education system. And so by the time I'm uh, 13, 14, I'm like Gaga that we're going to stop at Fred Bear's place. And it was still just a shack. I think he'd expanded it by that time. So he, he, he we'd eat cherry pie and chocolate milk at the Grayling restaurant with Fred Bear. And now I'm really shooting. I'm starting to kill stuff with my bow and arrow. Then my dad got transferred to Illinois, Schaumburg, where it's all pheasant country. Mm-hmm. And there was no deer back then, but a lot of small game. In 65, 1965, my band had just won the Michigan Battle of the Bands. We opened up for the Supremes at the brand new Cobo Hall. I was on my way and I got yanked out of my really? bed. Ah, damn it. So I started the Amboy Dukes the day I landed in Chicago, in, in, in Schaumburg. Um, and that's when the Amboy Dew started. But then when I graduated in 67, I immediately went back and went up to say hello to Fred. And now it's not a shack. It's the largest archery company on the planet with this huge museum. It was, I was like, awesome. But I'm starting to look a little hippie-like. Got long hair and I'm Amboy Dukes are just breathing f- rhythm and blues rock and roll fire. Just <laughs> intensity. It's shooting flaming arrows on stage. And this is a great, you'll, you'll love this part. I know you probably love all these parts. I love all these parts. 
So now I go up and reintroduce myself to Fred, but I'm kind of looking like a hippie. Mm-hmm. I had bell bottoms on and, you know, patchwork leather jacket and a 44 <laughs> Magnum in my belt and a pocket full of speed loaders. <laughs> Nobody saw that, but boy, I wasn't a hippie. Um, and he was a little offish. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember you, Ted. Yeah, it's great. As your dad still didn't, we had a conversation, but I could tell it was a little uncomfortable. And I was really let down. You know, I, Did my, you know the why it was uncomfortable for him? Because of the rock because and roll Because you became like a rock and roll hippie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. got it. Um, but then... Yeah, he he would have been like in his 50s or... Yes, when he just started going on adventure hunts. Like when, when, you, were, when you were this hippie coming in the shop, he was probably in his 50s. Yeah, so, so many generations gap. A there. real disdain for anything hippie yeah. um, that I agreed with, even though I'm in the swirl of that world. And there were nice hippies. And my band were hippies. Um, not not many of them. They eventually became hippie. Um, but I was still militantly anti-substance abuse because I had already witnessed it turn virtuosos into slobbering idiots. So my dad's discipline, instead of me being a rebel, I went, ah, his, his advice makes sense to benefit the quality of my music. I re we rehearsed and rehearsed, and our music was so powerful i mean listen to the opening journey to the center of mind not anybody else that greg arema on bass guitar holy god what a gifted young man 16 years old playing stuff that bob babbitt and james jamerson of the, the infamous motown funk brothers would come and watch the amboy dukes because greg's bass playing was so out of this world 16 year old kid and the world's most revered bass players for motown would come and watch greg Mm. So, but I'm going all over the place here, but it coalesces. And so, the word I got, I went back and visited Fred again, and that was '67. Again in '68, when I started hunting irons, hunting the Manistee National Forest, and this time he was so happy to see me and hugged me and shook my hand and asked me how the bow hunting's going. I hear you're a real successful musician, and uh, he goes, you know, uh, I talked to some of my buddies, and uh, they said that you always promote bow hunting. And mm. that you shoot bows and arrows on stage, and that you're all about being <laughs> clean and sober. So I guess I'll give you a second shot. <laughs> yeah, well, when, no rightly shit, so. Really? Yeah, I think rightly so. I think you should be suspicious of a of a cultural segment that is 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 at least suspicious and all too often negative. Um, but so we became just the best of friends because I like that. He goes when. When young people come to my museum, they always ask me if I know Ted Nugent. Oh, really? Mm. Yes. I have, I'm going, yeah. That is music to your so ears. You guys, you guys found like a symbi you guys hit on like a symbiotic relationship. Yes, they're uniquely, uniquely a huh. uh, uh, collision of planets, um, much to the benefit of both planets, because I've never gone on a radio to promote a tour without it turning into a bow hunting promotion. I've never done, gone and done an interview to promote a new record without it turning into the celebration of the mystical flight of the air and being clean and sober. That's why my guitar playing is so sexy. I mean, literally, it sounds cute, but it's true. And so we became friends, and he started inviting me to Grouse Haven over there in Rose City uh -huh. at his annual event, and it was <sighs> heaven on earth. To And then I... I, I, I I ended up playing bass for Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. So now I'm playing bass for Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. I'm bow hunting with Fred Bear. And Parnelli Jones drives me around the Indy 500 track in a Mustang. 
where else can I go? No, um, and, and you said Chuck Berry was was your in, that's who oh, you're yeah. playing guitar to be like. Of course, of course. Every, so that every had to be just on cloud uh, nine like, monumental, right? Whoa! I need to um as a young uppity, borderline out of control, energized guy. I had to like embrace these moments. So as I pulled up to Fred Bear's camp. Um, I had to take a deep breath and go, all right, sponge, hang with Fred. I didn't even bow hunt much because Fred didn't bow hunt much, and I'd stay at the fireplace with him and try not to be too much of a stalker, <laughs> but, but try to absorb ev- all his wisdom and his, uh, his touch, and I did. And then the last time uh, was uh, October of 87, and uh, we walked the lanes at Grouse Haven. He had his oxygen tank that he carried with him. And he uh, went on and on about how all the sporting goods shows he goes to, that anybody under 40, all they want to know is if if he knows Ted Nugent. And, of course, that my ego is, like, soaring in the stratosphere. Not really, but my appreciation for that my natural activities of... celebrating archery bow hunting conservation clean and sober that it 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 ended up elevating to where my hero appreciated and thanked me for it he said i've heard people in the industry will condemn you because you'll whack them and stack them but the young people young people know that that means you're having fun i mean we only kill and harvest well semantics really Does, does this ring any bells so he said Keep doing what you're doing. He goes, you're impacting a demographic that we desperately need to impact, and nobody in the industry can or even knows it. There's all a bunch of stuff shirt. Every leader of every conservation organization is so, so cautious, and they were, you know, children, it's it just stodgy. Ted, let, can I ask you a question specifically Go about nuts, Fred? Yeah, yeah tr- stop me if I... Cause I so I feel like Fred has such a reputation in the industry as being this like father figure of archery, which I understand yes. 100%. I feel like m- most people, probably much younger than me, wouldn't, we wouldn't have, they wouldn't have hardly been alive when he was here. What was Fred Bear really like? Like you sitting around a campfire with him rather than going hunting with him. Like what, what did he embody? What kind of wisdom did he have? What was he like that was so impressive? Because, you know, everybody, it's kind of like we've decided he's a legend. And so all of us admire him as a legend. We know he was a pioneer with making bows. Yep. But it's like there's this other untold story that I don't really know that well of like, who, why was he such a great guy? Well, I can go all the way back to the first encounters as a little boy, um, just positive, funny, friendly, a gentleman, uh, engaging. He'd talk with my dad, and I, of course, I was just a little kid. So I, I was only getting the periphery. And I guess he was an accomplished, a very accomplished bow hunter. Well, his, his, uh, his accomplishments in marketing and the, the technology of laminations and the uh, upgrading of the capability of the, the, the modern bows that he pioneered, particularly the laminations in those beautiful recurves. So around the campfire between him and Bob Munger, his partner, and then Dick Mock, who was his financer back in 60, 61, 62, who just passed away at 90, 93, 94. I hunted with Dick Mock on his last year. And we kept in touch. I'm, I'm this young uppity rock and roll maniac hanging out with these 
this these old guard pioneers of bow hunting. And I referenced Roy Weatherby expanding ballistic capabilities, which is awesome. But th- some guys, Ben Pearson, Roy Case, Wisconsin, um, certainly uh, Doug Walker in California, Western bow hunter, and Fred Bear was the daddy of them all. Um, and there's others. But they knew, as we know, and we love shooting them at long range. It takes a real discipline to make that long range shot. No matter how sighted in your gun is, that moment of truth, that trigger drop, it's a special moment. Long range, short range. Now you you magnify that by what? A million? When you got to be so close, those deer can see your nose hairs moving and you have to <laughs> execute a shot under the most challenging of conditions, God made these animals not to let us do that. So we have to really call upon the spirit within to earn full draw. That's what Fred and Roy Case, I can't mention his name enough, and those Ben Pearson, Howard Hill, those guys, that's what they saw was missing in the advancement of long-range shooting. That long-range shooting, as good as it is, which is perfect, I think, it's perfect, but it, the longer the range, the more the disconnect. And that's good. You got, got to kill the animals. You got to harvest the surplus. Venison at a thousand yards is just as good as, well, is just as good as venison at 10 yards, but probably not. Because psychologically, <laughs> yeah. I think it's more delicious. Because you had to do, you had to make such. You're intimate. You're so intimate. It's so that's why I call everything I do the spirit of the wild. My song is Spirit of the Wild. My show is Spirit of the Wild. My my podcast is Spirit Campfire. I learned early on that my disdain for the drooling, stumbling dopers and drunks um, was at its most apparent and inescapable hunting with the bow and arrow. That's why I mentioned about slithering in on a covey of quail. My whole clean and sober uh, battle cry is that, are you making a conscientious step or are you bumbling? Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to, okay? It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. 
This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Just ask my buddy Chili, who's been slipping around in his Tacova boots, talking about how great he feels in them. He loves them. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable. They're very fashionable. And I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go around Bozeman. Stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Make a conscientious step. Slow. Like Fred and so many people, I've heard you say it, you hunt more with your eyes than your feet. Your rewards are more meaningful. In fact, you're not going to be rewarded if you're stumbling. But if you take a conscientious step, stalking, stealth, situational awareness, um, the rewards are ultimate backstraps, or at least getting close. I literally would be able to slither up on a covey of quail within inches of this circle. I've witnessed the circle of quail before they explode. Um, that stays with you forever. So what Fred spread on that, those years that he, entrepreneurial, marketing, promotional brilliance, was his be a two-season hunter. Remember that campaign? Mm-hmm. The one guy in the orange and the other guy with the camo, bow yep. and a gun. Beautiful. Boy, there is a, harmon- a harmonious message that the industry could use more of. And on 87, we walked down the trails, and he thanked me and said, keep doing what you're doing. Um, ignore the critics. He goes, they criticized me because I put a matchstick on my bow when I won the state uh, 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 3D championship. 
It was one of the first. He had a pin. He had yeah, a say, say pin. Yeah. Because he had target panic. Um, he says that that had nothing to do with anything. It, the critics criticized nonsense, the inconsequential, counterproductive nonsense. He says, when you say whack them and stack them, all that really means is you're having fun. If you can get a, a bag limit of bluegills, that would be whacking and stacking. Find fault with that. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, I mean, no, that I speaks to every Michigander right there. Yeah, no, I Limit get, of no, fish, I, Steve? I, 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 yes, I understand your point. <laughs> so, so, but the thing is, it, it comes to, you use the word crescendo. I have a lot of crescendos. My whole life is a crescendo. In fact, I don't hire musicians unless I can see the foreheads, on their, the veins on their foreheads pop every song. I want, <laughs> I want James Brown. I don't want Simon and Garfunkel. Um, being that as it may. So, 87, October intimate communication around the campfire. So to your in- inquiry, just just a shit kicker. Just And he would talk about the polar bear hunt. He would talk about his elephant hunt. He would talk about promoting the, uh, uh, the poison pods on the arrows. Are you aware of that Man, era? Man, you know what? I, as of a few days ago, Oh, just learned about it. Well, I knew about it, but we had a we had a story. We work on this series, um, these close call things where people tell close calls from the wild. And a guy had a great had a. We heard about a guy that actually jabbed himself with that son of a bitch Oy. down in Mississippi, maybe because it's still yeah. legal down there. Yeah. yeah. So we so but explain that. Yeah, but can you? People aren't aware of this. Yeah. Well, or I should say, why, should, Fred. I like I should, by people. I mean, I wasn't aware that, that was that you could still use it. As a was Fred into that as a promoter of conservation, mm-hmm. which I salute you. By the way, we got all the important stuff done before the microphones are turned on. We salute you. We congratulate you, Steve Ranella, oh, for promoting the sport that is the tip of our quality of life spear. You do a great job. It doesn't surprise me you come from Michigan because of the history and the passion that comes from those deer camps in Michigan. And I, I salute you and applaud you and appreciate your dedication because ultimately you promote conservation and hands-on environmental air, soil, and water upgrade through wildlife habitat safeguarding and enhancement. That's what you've done. Thank you. That's what I do, and that's what Fred Bear thanked me for. But when we're, so we'll talk about around the campfire, to hear it from Fred Bear promoting the use of, I forget the term uh, of that, that poison powder, that he would take a balloon uh, neck and pull it back and put a little of this poison on the arrow, because as all bow hunters know, one of your best shows when you made a bad shot in that elk and those other guys found it. Mm-hmm. You can't hunt without making a bad shot mm-hmm. unless, well, then again, Mrs. Nugent defies that. I mean, she's never lost an animal because she waits for the shot. And so do we. But even when we wait for the shot, humans flinch. Well, nothing hurts more, well, outside of, the loss of a loved one or the abuse of power by people you vote to adhere to their constitutional oath. But equal to those heartbreaks, it's when you make a bad shot. 
and sometimes it's 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 treacherous trying to get over what two more inches to the left i'd have had him and now i got a gutty arrow and you, you can recover him if you wait most of the time but when you don't you it's you can almost not get over it mm -hmm. when you lose an animal you just feel that's that reasoning predator thing the cougar doesn't care he wound as many deer as possible he doesn't give a shit but you and I do give a shit. Yeah. And so I, I, I've, I've lost a great many. I've lost. And it just is, yeah. Because I hunt so fun. much, I've lost. You know, I haven't lost many. I didn't lose any this last season. I made a couple bad shots, but I recovered them. Yeah. Um, so to be around a campfire with the bow hunting guy, and he laments the pain in the ass of losing an animal and there's a system by which you will never lose an animal this poison behind the little balloon neck behind the broadhead he was all for it mm -hmm. but the public perception of the bow hunting master indicating in any way that he might need poison or the broadhead isn't deadly is is an image you'll never get over i didn't know that see I, this is all news to me i didn't know that fred bear i didn't know this ever became a thing that fred bear was involved in or that he got criticism for it oh he he was the main promoter thereof oh um when was this going in, on? in fact watch the like, fred what what years was it that there was a discussion 63 around? 64 watch the cape buffalo hunt on the fred bear films and watch that arrow go in the narrator, that great narrator. And at a 40-yard shot, you can see the arrow go in. And Fred had put some talcum powder on the arrow so we could better f witness the flight of the arrow. It. <laughs> <laughs> it was poison. And so you can make any kind of hit. As long as you get it in the bloodstream, that animal's going to die. And did Fred Bear kill some Cape Buffalo without it? Yeah. Did he kill his elephant without it? Yeah. Huh. Uh, did he kill a lot of stuff without it? Yeah. But he wanted... He wanted to eliminate losing game. Do you feel like there's a line for you between using something like poison and certain technologies that might increase kill rate? Well, there, it's not really a fine line. I think it's a, a glaring chasm, which I, I don't know why they call it chasm. It should be chasm. I don't know any friends named Carly. Anyhow. Yeah, we accept chasm and chasm. I go off on tangents, which... Makes me interesting, if nothing else. Sight pins, mechanical release aids, 90% um, let off cams, um, scent reducing products. It's still your hands, your stealth, no matter what kind of upgraded advancement mm -hmm. in hunting technology, it's still you. Your brain, your stealth capabilities, luck, huge luck. But it's shot placement, no matter how good the Remington mushroom, deadliest mushroom in the woods is, you got to hit them right. I mean, bull elk hit with a, a 340 Weatherby through the guts is still going to run off, <laughs> though that's a pretty powerful round. I love that round. Because it seems like you're very much into kind of the raw organic it is. I use think of your He's saying technology's not taking that away. And technology you know? does not take it away. That's why yeah. I don't I don't attribute traditional archery to somebody with an old fashioned bow. 
I am mm -hmm. purely traditional. What is tradition? Applying one's maximum effort to a clean kill. And if, if you want pure archery, I think Mr. Left Hand's got to grab the bow and Mr. Right Hand's going to have to knock that arrow and draw it back. Ishii. It's as pure as Ishii. But it's, it enhances the deadliness of your endeavor, which is a, a, a moral um, consideration. Uh, I still shoot my recurves and my longbows, but, but and when I was a kid, holy God, I couldn't miss. A squirrel running on a power line, bang, got him. I couldn't miss. The purity of youth and the hand-eye purity, you see samurai guys and you see um, uh, Tim Wells uh, often and some of the other guys and Fred and Howard, Howard Hill. I couldn't miss. So if the guy that can't miss, is he cheating? Should we ban him? Well, in Colorado, <laughs> you can't use a scope on your rifle. Well, you can with your muzzleloader. Well, you can hunt with a muzzleloader, but not very accurately. We need to reduce your accuracy. How stupid is that? And in some states, there were you couldn't use um, uh, lit pins. Well, what if it's dark inside the blind, but it's still legal shooting hours? Really? So you can hunt, but you but you may have to make a bad hit because I I'm uncomfortable with this technology. Shut the fuck up. Um, well, so, you know you know what they're driving at. Yeah, I, they're, they're driving at efficacy. When we were talking upstairs. And you're you going to go to the crossbow. You yep. were like, you were hand gesturing yep. the, no matter what you've, over the years, pins, release, whatever, you're like, I still hold this thing in this hand. Yep. I pull it back. Archery. And then you made a... A, 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 a rifle gesture or a, com, or a crossbow gesture. Yeah, so does, I, does that in your mind, what does that mean? Well, I wrote an extensive piece on it that I love crossbows. It was okay. tight. I believe the title was I Love Crossbows, But Not For Me. Yep. And that summarizes it. A um, bunch of my buddies hunt with crossbows for a number of reasons. It's, it's easier. Get them in the woods more. I'm, I'm all for it. So far, I'm with you. And then so many, oh, I can't draw my bow back because it's 70 pounds. I kill everything with 50 pounds. Shemaine kills everything with 30 pounds. Wildebeest, zebra, elk, kudu, 30-pound bow, and Hoyt of Hoyt Archery killed everything that walks the earth with a 35-pound recurve, shooting Zawicki two blades and MA2s and bare razor heads, that knife broadhead. I've killed Cape Buffalo with 60 pounds using a two-blade broadhead. You get in between the ribs, and quite honestly, every, almost everybody's overbowed. If you're lifting your bow up, it's too much draw weight, and you don't need it. It's stealth, shot placement, and the right broadhead. And I, I use Rage, and I use the, sh the, the Shank, and I use the uh, Swacker, and I, I try them all. I'm always trying every broadhead, but I, when I want to... When it all comes down to it, the two-blade is the deadliest. It cuts through everything. The point being is that if you want to use a crossbow, hell, I'll buy you one. If it'll get you out in the woods and buy a license and enhance the, the, uh, the economy because you're going to go food, groceries, restaurants, gas, lodging. You're probably going to buy a, a food plot materials. So anything to get, anything for recruitment and retention, I'm for. 
this side of grenade launchers here, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't think you should necessarily go into a herd of deer with a rent-a-car. But do, do you agree with uh, archery-only seasons? I believe that the statistics have proven that the hue and cry that the crossbow will reduce archery season opportunities has proven to be false. Okay. Um, so I, I believe, first of all, a crossbow is not a damn gun. Now, are there 100-yard capable crossbows? Of, yes, there are. And all of them will blow up at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's not my hunch. I know all these guys. I know dozens of guys with archery shops. And all these maniac, high-tension, 100-yard crossbows, they will all blow up at some point because it's too much tension on the components which again is fine to each his own but crossbows shoot arrows bolts mm-hmm. so it's 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 not firearms they're, they're, some of the old school love some of them some not so much um well it's a it's a cross gun really i don't smell any gunpowder it's not a cross gun it's a cross bow and i think technologically it dates free longbows if i'm maybe you would know that don't know that um i think it it predates longbows that's i've seen that claim here and there but meaningless that's meaningless it shoots an arrow and people that are trying those hundred yard shots are are learning they shouldn't Mm -hmm. because it's just not going to get there in time even with a rifle everything better be good at long range because that animal's got to be calm he can't know you're there and you got to be super accurate but the the real conflict comes from states like idaho love them but they ban lighted knocks well they they didn't allow lighted knocks from the get-go and expandable broadheads i know so a lighted knock would be like uh when when it's released off the string the the knock glows enhances the mystical flight it helps you find your arrow. It doesn't mm-hmm. help you kill anything. Yes. Yeah. And uh, mechanical yeah, broad, but the one. point is, the mechanical broadhead is the most popular broadhead on planet Earth. So you're telling all those hunters you're not welcome to Idaho. It can't have anything to do with killability. It can't have anything to do with ethics. I don't know. It's just an arbitrary, punitive, stupid statement by some elitist prick. And I told them that when I did a speech out there. They wanted me to help them in ha- uh, uh, legalize wolf hunting. And I, I roamed the stage and I went, I'm so proud to be here in Idaho. Love Idaho. Wow. Rugged individualism, outdoorsman. That, that mountain man is still alive and well. Then I paused and I said, why should I help you open a wolf season? I know, I know why, because they're, uh, they're, they're uh, herding your uh, big game herds. But why should I help you? I'm not even allowed. You're, you won't even let me hunt here. And there was silence. I go, because I have a lighted knock. You're not going to let me hunt. My wife shoots a 30-pound bow, kills everything that moves, but she's not welcome in your state? Well, I think it would be that her lighted knock is not. I th- No, the lower poundage, too, was against the law. Oh, and, um, really? Yeah. It's, it, Arkansas is 35 pounds. Yeah, there's a minimum Absolute poundage. nonsense. The, the, I, I agree on the, the, the lighted knock thing I agree on. That I think anything that allows recovery should be allowed. Oh, but yeah. this conversation is not about lighted knocks or expandable broadheads, right? We're we're talking about where where do you draw the line at regulation and yeah. where where is it appropriate? And and really, we want to know this from you. I think 
that the lighted knocks, in my experience, can give you a false uh, confirmation of impact. So when I'm judging sure, where that the arrow, arrow's here and the knock's upstairs. Yeah. Oh. Just like when you're shooting at a target, right? You see the knock. You don't see where yeah, the broadhead no, is, right? Yeah, that's a good point. And so that's, that's a personal reason of mine that, that I haven't like, taken anything would you away outlaw, from you. Would you outlaw them based on that? You know, I just don't really give a shit about that that much. Because right? now, so. let's, let's, say, let's say the lighted knock gives you a false impression of where the arrow hits. So does a regular knock. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, you, well, what, are we going to ban knocks? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but, the, but the real issue is they're saying this is an archery season, which they have said, okay, an archery season is a more traditional hunt. They're banning electronics. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. So it's not, I don't think it's an issue of they sat down and debated the what's pros and cons and of lighted knocks. Knock. They said yeah. anything that's electronic that's on a bow gives you advantage, or that's the assumption. It gives you advantage. It's a wrong and assumption, so, unfortunately. Yeah. Nobody, nobody was yeah. in the room to challenge their that's false right. assumption. No. Yeah. That's okay. where I come in. Yeah, okay, do you, okay, let, let me ask you this. I, I also want to argue about CWD, but. Uh, we might have to argue. I don't know. I got to ask you. I don't I'm know game. If we're argue, I'm but, game. But, uh, let, let's talk about this for a second. I, I think Dr. Fauci would like to be in on that conversation, but go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I, do you have sympathies to the people that are are regulating a giant population and it always defaults to um, the, the weakest link in the chain, right? Uh, if we don't have a 35-pound minimum, is somebody going to pick up a Kmart bow and a field point even they're though we already didn't define doing the field point. They're already right. doing that. Um, no, I have no sympathy for them whatsoever. But do you, th- like, okay, here's the thing. There's a couple things going on that, that, I, that I want you, that, that you need to speak, that I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on. One of the things you're doing when you control technology, when you control the, in, like, technology coming in, is you're sort of, stop thinking of it as fair, like, fair chase, and think of it as, um, what was what the guy that proposed the alternative to talking about fair chase, fair share. Okay. Certain technologies are meant to just to control efficacy. So if someone were to come in and say a, a state were to come in and say, we're not going to allow people to use drones to, um, Scout. For, for hunting purposes, they might say, because right now we're operating on this thing where we have 20, 30% success rates with elk, which means shitloads of people can hunt elk and have the opportunity to hunt elk. If technology were to come in and create a situation where success rates were so high, you're going to have less and less opportunity for people to go out. Because we're, we're, like, if you're, if you're going to kill 100 elk and you have 10% success rates, you're allowing... A thousand people, thousand individuals to hunt. If it winds up being that through the use of drones, thermal vision, uh, you, let's say uh, there's no limitation. So you can hunt at night. You can use thermal to hunt at night. You can scout with a drone. Uh, on and on and on and on and on. And you wind up that success rates are now 90%. You got 11 guys that are going to hunt when it used to be, or no, you got 99 guys or whatever. I lost track of my own metaphor. There's going to be yeah. less. Well, let me, so, let me, but I, I think that there's, there's looking at it like you're sort of trying to prescribe ethics, which is so hard and confusing to do. You're trying to prescribe ethics, or you're looking at being like, how do we maintain a static situation 
that we've had for a long time without telling people things that they've historically done they can't do anymore, which is in, in my mind, like where I always draw a line. I don't like to see people's traditional use practices interrupted. It winds up being that you have to look ahead and think about the impacts of technology. You used to not be able to hunt at night because you couldn't see. Well, I, that, we've crossed that bridge because all these assumptions and proposals and hypotheticals go all the way back to trajectory compensating scopes mm -hmm. to 90% uh, let off compounds. Yeah. And well, we're going to ruin our archery season. We're going to start losing opportunities. Since those uh, hypotheticals were proposed, not only haven't we reduced archery opportunities, they've continued to expand. And let's just talk about the elk farm. Yeah. Well, for, I th if I may, I'd like to be the czar of hunting regulations. And I am on my land. I'm the yeah. czar of hunting because I See, know I, I, wanna, I wanna be able to do that, but nationally. I should. <laughs> because I think we I think if we got a room together, we would not only have unif universal agreement on my proposals, but the person who would disagree with it would would present themselves as a slobbering idiot. And I think the first proposal would, shooting hours, you can only hunt when you see them, except for hogs or maybe other depredation considerations. Yeah, Alaska doesn't do the shooting hour thing because they have such but yes weird daylight weird daylight When periods. can you see? Yeah. You, even with waterfowl, what, what should shooting hours be? When you can see them. But... Um, Okay, let me, so, so, so I so, think we would get everybody in the room to agree that we're not going to open a, a night elk season. Uh, and, if, and if someone does propose that, that means you haven't provided enough tags to responsibly harvest the surplus, which is the condition in Colorado in some areas, yeah. which is the condition in New Mexico in some areas. We Unfortunately, those who propose further restrictions are either lying or woefully unqualified to manage X herd or X population. For example, I'm going to go back to the conversation you were having earlier before we went back to our guest. Um, the, the mountain lion telemetry, enough already. They did, was it Hoffbacker? Was that his name back in the 1950s? Where do we need to study where mountain lions are anymore? They're under-harvested. We need to kill more mountain lions. And the methodology of hounds and, and, and herd identification, mountain lion population identification, is it's like a, a concluded, it's already concluded. Colorado, but to my, be fair, I I'll read those studies every day, so please I keep love doing those research. I, don't, I like to see where mountain lions don't, go. <laughs> don't charge my taxes for that because I know USDA hunters that are slaughtering cougars and bears year-round using hounds and bait where we, the people who own this resource, are not allowed to hunt in the spring or use hounds and bait. I dare anybody but dude, to that's attempt a, to... That, that is a legitimate thing, but that's a state issue. California, when they stopped, uh, when Colorado they banned, too. when Colorado, when, when California banned Hippies. lion hunting, they used Hippies. to kill about 300, 400 lions a year. And they still do. Well, now they pay the state to kill three, 400 yes. lions a year. After mm -hmm. we've compensated the, the alpaca ranchers and after, and after we relocated them three times, I know the hunters, I know the USDA hunters. Why is there a USDA hunting bureau? Why does that exist? So they're, they're allowed to clean up the inadequacies 
of yeah, but that, but yeah, but nobody he, wants to see Uncle Ted creeping in the backyard listen, to shoot the bear off. The okay, bird yes, feeder, they do. Right? No, yes, listen, they do. Why, why would you have? Okay, if it was on VHS, I'd watch it <laughs> again. You, like you run the you run the risk of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. So if we have USDA hunters, like we have, what's what's the it's uh, APHIS? A, okay, like APHIS Wildlife Services, they ran the uh, Nutria eradication program in Chesapeake Bay. Okay, Nutria are not cougars. I know, <laughs> but you said why would we have USDA hunters? That's who did that. They do all kinds of coyote work for sheep producers. But believe me, I know these guys. Yeah, but the point is, is that but we are. It, it gets abused now and then. But like again, man. I feel like you, you, you run the risk of like sort of trashing on the whole system because of certain like areas of abuse that often aren't their fault. The cougar it, thing it, is how like about it? it's never their fault. The it, cougar thing is the fault of is is the fault of stupid people of of putting <laughs> the cougar thing is the fault of having like re, state referendums where you put to voters. Yep. Like idiotic wildlife yep. management decisions. Michigan doves, Michigan sandhill cranes, no doubt about it. Well, I would address it that that typically the between the media, the bureaucracies, and our own hunting organizations, let's go right to the, the horror stories of horror stories. Please. There are eight states in the United States of America where we the people are not allowed to hunt during the rut on our farms on Sunday. I, I, I Here, dare, here's an area where we have strong I, alignment. I dare <laughs> yeah. anybody, but that's the manifestation of that cultural it, 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 dishonesty. But so, that's not elitism. That's very old, like not being able to buy booze. You know, you 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 should be in you you should be in church. Like that's coming from a completely different direction. But that's not like urban liberals. Yeah, I think it is. Well, no, no actually, hunting, in, the, in Pennsylvania, it's the it's the agriculture community. Yeah. It's the farmers. Well, we need a we need a day of rest. You had you had all spring and summer to rest. After dark, <laughs> you rest. But the, I, I consider it indecent. I consider yeah. it irresponsible. And same with minimum draw weight and lighted knocks and expandable broadheads. It's not like it's we're experimenting with expandable broadheads anymore. I mean, it's a deadly, deadly tool that's been proven irrefutably, conclusively. How dare you ban all those people from your state? So the point, the real point of this is that the sporting families of this country, just like the voting families of this country, are dangerously apathetic. Mm -hmm. They're not involved. They're not rate. When I did that speech in Idaho, I guarantee if we took a vote in that room that night, they would have legalized lighted knocks and expandable broadheads and, and, and eliminating minimum draw weights. Well, minimum this, is, but, this ties into the apathy. Okay. Idaho, uh, until they really started screwing it up here in the last couple of years, independent fish and game commission. They are mandated to have a public uh, process for every regulation change. And our guys don't show up to the and process. And our guys do not yes! show up to the process. I have spoken, interviewed fishing game commissioners on major rule changes where they've gotten as low as six hunter surveys returned yep. on, hmm. on things that people are screaming up and down about, but they will not go online. They will not fill out the mailer that they're paying for through their license dollars and send it back in. I give you Joe Free Biden in the White House. That is a, <laughs> that is a direct result of, of Americans that are so spoiled and so disengaged. Well, the, the point but, is, once you cast your vote, whether your person gets in or not, your job then begins to, to hold them 
accountable. Absolutely. And boy. we do a shit job of it. Ditto, 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 ditto. So regarding regulations. Um, but hold, I, I got to hold off one second. I, I got to clarify a thing. I, I, like, I feel like we're at the risk of confusing two issues here. What? Well, <laughs> no. Sorry. Expandable broadheads and draw and weights. Knocks. Like, let's say, let's take the draw weight thing. And the expand. Yeah. That's not them thinking it works too good. That's not them saying you can't use thermal vision to hunt elk. That's them saying we don't think it works good enough. Yes, that's yeah. exactly Which right. I feel when you get into that, I'd be like, okay, if you don't think it works good enough and it's not that effective, I don't know that it's your business. Absolutely. Just like minimum because age. Because people will probably find out on their own. Like you could man, you could also say you, it's illegal to be very loud. Yes. <laughs> while hunting because it just doesn't work yes, good. Yes, That's yes, a great yeah. point. Well, but, well stated. Yeah. So yeah. I, like, I agree that like that, like the, the, the draw length thing, you're draw sort of saying like, the draw, I'm sorry, draw weight. Yeah, no one's dictating draw length. Uh, but I think there's an overall arrow weight. There's also an overall um, uh, firearm weight. So you minimum calibers in Africa, 375, as if I can't kill a lion with a seven mag. I did. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's it's arbitrary, punitive and capricious, uh, dictated by people who don't know. Some of these people dictating these policies wouldn't know a, a cock pheasant from a pterodactyl. Uh, just again, <laughs> the worst example is Michigan ribeyes in the sky. How immoral of a regulation, virtually immoral to kill a ribeye in the sky and not be allowed to eat it. Yeah. I, it's it's indiscreet. But let, let's tell people what they're what they're getting at. They're, Michigan has a recovered population, like, like most of the country. Like, I shouldn't say most. Like, most west, of the country. West of the Mississippi. That's who's declared recovered. Like, they can man state-level yeah. management of sandhill cranes. Yeah. So, in Michigan, they they do not have a sandhill crane season. They give out depredation permits for sandhill cranes. But they're trying to like they're, they're trying to control what your motivations are. Oh, come now! That's what they would tell. It's unbelievable. That's what they would tell you. So you can get a depredation permit to kill a sandhill crane, but you dasn't eat it once you do. Unbelievable. Because if you eat it, it might be well. Did you kill it to eat it, or did you kill it because it was depredation? But that that is so. I, There's my, a similar thing in Australia. My brain rejects the very premise. Okay. It's the. It is a. It is a migratory game bird. It is delicious. It's known as ribeye in the sky. Anybody who forbids me to eat that is a bad person, <laughs> is an immoral person. If you support immorality, you're immoral. And the, the morning dove, well, it's a songbird. No, it's not. It's the number one game-hunted species on planet Earth. Yeah. You can't call it a songbird. Mo- yeah. a, I told the guys at the DNI, I said, you're liars. We would hunt. As kids, we would hunt morning doves in Michigan out of protest. I I still do. We had we would go up and down. Good could, for you, Ranella. If you if you live in the area and you're familiar with M120, we would work the 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 power lines along M120 through Twin Lake, Michigan, and we would go in the woods, find a morning dove perched on the power line, thump, creep up to the edge and shoot, and we would do it. And it was like completely encouraged and ordained by our father because he felt. That it was an act of civil disobedience. Beautiful. Because you could not hunt morning doves. Beautiful. The most harvested bird in America. Most harvested the, the animal. Most harvested game animal in America. You are not allowed to in Michigan because of, I think, 
It was like some public referendum. Yes, because the public doesn't know. Because it was a know. sign of love. It's just unbelievable. And that's why I, I invited them. And still today you can't hunt doves in Michigan. <laughs> I, had, I invited the attorney general to my Michigan cabin, and I had sh- boxes of shotgun shells on the table with pictures of doves, a dove and quail load. And I'm cooking up this nice slab of meat on the grill, and it was a sandhill crane. And I go, arrest me. Arrest me and make the case to the jury that I'm doing something <laughs> bad yeah. and that this is a songbird on the shotgun shell box. I dare you. So I'm a, I'm a hell raiser because I go with truth, logic, common sense, and science, which makes me radical, instead of lies. It's like the deer stuck in a fence, which I've come upon, or deer hit by cars. I've come upon them all my life. And people are squawking and crying. What do we do? What do we do? I think it's the bag. I shoot the deer in the head and take the straps off. Anybody else want the back straps? Because if you don't, I'm taking them. That is so moral. That is so righteous. Mm. It is so purely the correct thing to do. And it's against the law. I'm Rosa Parks. That's a black (laughs) ass, and that's a bus seat. I'm sitting down. Eat me. CWD. <laughs> CWD. I'm talking about scams. Ted, I share, I, I share your loathing. I share your loathing of the animal rights world. And the animal rights community. Yeah. No, no. I don't think we're on the same page on bureaucrats. Okay. Because there's a lot of stuff that a lot of, like. Well, you're young. You'll, you'll learn more. No, no. It's not. No, like, you can say, if I hear the word bureaucrat, I'm like, oh, we're all supposed to agree that bureaucrats are bad. Or we're all supposed to agree that lobbyists are horrible. But uh, there's a lot of places, there's a lot of people that are lobbying on behalf of things that I think are good. They're really, really bad at it, though, because you still can't hunt on Sundays in eight states. So what are they lobbying for? You still can't hunt cougars and bears yeah, in Pennsylvania. You just took a step in the right direction. Who else is? Yeah, a step? Pennsylvania. They a guy called me. He goes, hey, they gave us two Sundays. Two Sundays. <laughs> they have, they're not theirs. What do they give you the right to keep and bear arms? Wow, I got constitutional carry. I was born with constitutional carry. I don't need government paperwork for my God-given rights. We've been brainwashed that we're waiting for a handout from the bureaucrats. That's why I hate bureaucrats. Are there some good ones? I think four. Um, but no, no, okay. But let's go to CWD. I want to go to CWD, but I, I want to hit the bureaucrat <laughs> appointment. Like, I, I think that there, there are probably some. Um, uh, I, I feel that Stranglehold is one of the best songs ever, ever, ever done. I can hardly stand it. But, <laughs> but when I hear when I hear that someone has a radio collar on a mountain lion, I perk up because I think that information is valuable. When you hear that someone's got a radio collar on a mountain lion, you might ask, like, "Who's paying? How for is that? this going to come around to bite me in the ass somehow?" Well, <laughs> yeah, I do because, because there's. It's just like. Uh, the grants, our, our tax dollars are raped and pillaged by so-called grants, and we already know everything we need to know about mountain lions. Now, if there was any indicator, any real indicator, that there's a mountain lion population anywhere that needed to be monitoring, I'd be the first to make a donation for radio telemetry mm-hmm. and finding out what, what would benefit that, for whatever reason, decreasing mountain lion population. Except, guess what? There are no decreasing mountain lion populations. Expanding. And there haven't been. But what about telemetry? Well, I don't want to. Let's get into CWD. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't want you to reply to it because I want to have the last word. I was going to say <laughs> telemetry data might tell us that we have expanding and increasing mountain lion populations. But there already has. So cut it out already. Save the tax dollars. <laughs> Give me my money back. You want to know everything about mountain lions? 
call me. No charge. Mount Kanzar, Ted You hear that? Santa Monica Mountains. for Bart George. Expect a call from a guy named Bart George who at this moment has collars on Lions. Santa Monica Mountains. But he should pay for his own collars. Okay, the Lions are bringing the wild to people who refuse to believe it's there. Right? Those are the mountain lions that are eating the alpacas and coming into people's backyards. and, And God love them for it. Like, that's the real uncontrolled wild. Yep. Sandwiched on the outskirts. But we of LA. don't need radio telemetry to determine that. These people watch the mountain lions cross their backyards in Pennsylvania, you Minnesota. Security, you Michigan. need security cameras above your garage. Yes. <laughs> and in Michigan, they'll tell you there are no mountain yeah. lions. The that, that footage isn't real. It's a mountain lion on that trail camera. Oh, yeah. You lion son of a bitch. All so, right. Yeah. CWD, because I, I want to get to a lot. I want to talk about wolves. Love wolves. Love mountain lions. Love them all. Okay. CWD, I, I feel as though I feel as though we disagree on on on, on this. Um, well, I admit it exists. Give, okay, give me your spiel on like help. Let me. I'm gonna start by the, a question. Let's say I went and got a bunch of C. This is something I used to want to do, but I feel like I'd get in trouble for traveling around with it. I went and got ten CWD positive deer. Okay, and I made a a burger. I ground it all up, made a burger, and I traveled here with it. And I made this burger and fried it up in your kitchen and offered you the burger. Would you eat it or not eat it? I would eat it. You would eat it. Not only See, that. See, now I'll talk because my rule is I'll only talk about CWD with people who would eat the burger. Well, not only talk that. I'll only argue with CWD people who would eat the burger. And I love your presumptuous uh, uh, scenario because good luck finding 10 deer with CWD. They're, they're claiming they're looking for CWD, s- wasting our tax dollars, wiping out entire herds mm-hmm. in, in private ownership or in, in the wild, and they come across it. Well, if you are spending gazillions of dollars looking for something, yeah, here's a little tip from the old guitar player. You're going to find it. Has any hunting seat since 1967 over there in Colorado yep. and they, their variation of Crutchfield Jacobs, I understand what it is, and there's the scrapies that really wiped out the sheep uh, world in North America that was bigger than the cattle world, um, except for scrapies coming in. I understand the origins. I understand the uh, epidemiology. There's been no deer season that has been reduced because of chronic wasting disease. But there have been deer seasons reduced, which, again, I'm using the term deer season to reference the vitality of a herd. Got it. Um, because as you, as you regulate based on sustained yield and opportunities to mitigate agriculture destruction, highway destruction, uh, dangerous conditions, other uh, overpopulation maladies, um, you've got other diseases like uh, episodic hemorrhagic disease that have wiped out. Sure. That great numbers. And, and, CWD and never has. Was it what what state was it last year? North Dakota. North Dakota had yes. to go and buy back yes. deer tags. They yes, because they of because of EHD. But that was EHD, not CWD. It's never happened with CWD. I know it exists, but there's no evidence exists. And even though they go nuts trying to find it, that the the chronic wasting disease in cervids is transmissible to humans or cattle. Or dogs, or sheep. Yeah. So there, there's a, then that goes my back, my hatred for bureaucracies. Okay. The bureaucracies have ran with the what if, the. But the what if is super scary. <laughs> but it is. But but the what if 
So Dude, am I. I'm super scary. Listen, the what? <laughs> Just if, think if Ted opened up with his machine gun downtown. It ain't gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> but unless I run into but, a bunch of recidivistic but, assholes, Ted. <laughs> Ted, imagine. I, I want. I need to give people a little. Do you think it's a threat? Let me give it. Dear, dear. No, okay, no, no, I've got a Leatherman in I've his hand right now. Yeah, he's like got his knife out. No, <laughs> it's he's, a fingernail file. He's got it into fingernails. a corner. Okay, I, I have a nuanced perspective about this, and it's so nuanced it's gotten me in trouble with with a very dear friend of mine. Uh, Who's the friend? Who is Duran? Well, this got me in trouble, with Doug, because I have a friend who is listen like. CWD Ground Zero. Where's that at? He's in southwestern Wisconsin. Okay, yeah. So it's pretty common for him to neighbors, his place, to have to be like, there's a deer dying of CWD. They have a shitload of deer on the ground. He's not going to argue it. They got a lot of deer on the ground. He has live deer. You mean that they have a lot of living deer? Extremely high density of deer. And they're currently killing a lot of deer and they're killing big deer. Right now, in 2022. Uh, yes, because I know it came to a peak about eight years ago. Well, they still. Yeah. Uh, just give me one second. Yep. Then you, so your buddy is like he's no, hysterical no, no, no. about CWD. No, not hysterical. In other words, he dismisses it. No, like almost like I do. No, let me just give me a second. Okay, because I'm trying to lay out like various ways of approaching CWD, and I want to get to where I approach it. I want to get to how I approach it, and I want to get to how you approach it. So his concern, he's concerned that about two things. He's concerned about the idea of human transmission. And if you're, and if like that idea doesn't bother you, it's probably because you don't like to eat deer meat. Okay. If, if it doesn't like worry you, except that it doesn't bother me and I, it's all I do is eat deer meat. Okay. So we'll hold you there. His concern is that he feels that you would hit a point where there's a population level impact. Now, when I have gone and I've said, and gotten got mean text messages from him. This even prompted us to find to, there's an app you can get that makes your text messages not sound agitated. I will never implement <laughs> that. <laughs> and it was a joke that, that Doug needs to get this app. He was upset with me one time for saying um, that if I if it wasn't for the human transmission possibility, I wouldn't be sitting around fretting about it. And he's like, well, what about population level impacts? So. You got to take it like, here's a person that's very schooled and lives it on his family farm, like lives CWD on his family farm and is very concerned about, he hates the what if scenario about human transmission and he's concerned about disease and deer because he likes to see healthy herds. So he has concern about long-term impacts and what the, like this outrageous prevalence is going to mean. Have for, they confirmed numerous cases on his ground? Many. Okay. Many. On his ground, and they're they're only increasing and increasing. Point. Like he can go tell you every year how many he sent in, how many pauses, how many sent in, how many pauses. He does doesn't he, like it when when the numbers that, the numbers that he's sending in. Does he have tags to kill more deer? So he's sending yes. in more than the average hunter that kills one or two a year. He, you know, I I I can't answer that specifically. Cam might be able to, but he has very detailed records of what he's submitted and what his results have been. And for a long time, he was watching it all around him, and then recently it started to be that he's getting multiple this yeah. year. He's getting deer on his place that come back positive. He doesn't like that shit. The big change, see- Ted, is not so much Doug himself, but the program that he's running on the farm it used to be pretty restrictive group-wise. Harvest-wise? Very much. Yeah, and now greater harvest and, and more hunters involved too. Doug used to, like, I hate to be talking. I wish Doug was here. 
Love you, Doug. Well, he would play the guitar with you in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, Doug would play guitar. Who <laughs> wouldn't? I should have brought So, So Doug's worried about that. Doug's, it's, his family farm's been in his family since, I don't you know, 100 years. Um, he, he's like, hates to see this shit, okay? Like, he hates to see the disease. He's worried about what it's going to mean for the future deer season. He remembers being a kid, and you would run home and tell your mom and dad if you saw a deer track. Sure. Same with me in Michigan, yeah. And... He loves deer. He, I mean, the guy has the most legitimate claim in the world to loving deer, loving deer hunting, loving the land. He's worried sick about CWD. Huge part of our quality of life, no doubt about it. So he got, he, like, I disappointed him by expressing that I'm not worried about the population level impact, primarily because it seems that these places that have CWD are magically also the places that have shitloads of deer. So I, I'm not in the future enough to see where it plays out that we get to the point of having that we lose deer herds because of prevalence. But it's not, to me, in my view, it's not unreasonable to think that if you wound up with, with a, a, a always fatal disease, that every time a deer gets it, it dies from it. Um, and you had somehow magically, we got to some point where we had 100% transmission or 100% infection rates, that I would be like, is that what does that mean for the deer population? Let me let me inject here for a moment that you claim, and I hear the claim all the time, and I dismiss it. Okay. That it's it's one hundred percent fatal. Mo- the vast majority is it is it ninety nine percent of them that have been discovered to have CWD. CWD didn't kill them. No, you're right. Somebody else killed them, and God knows how many we've killed and eaten that do have that and maybe thousands and thousands yeah and thousands. i'm sure of it i There's kill been, hundreds every year and i don't check them for seed up now i have a high fence in michigan so we have to turn in heads and we haven't had any at all uh, uh positive cwd but here's i gotta comment on that there's too many instances, particularly in Wisconsin, where the DNR comes in and confiscates a deer head and it's tested positive well let me see the results no it just tested positive let me see the results dr fauci why, why won't you share the evidence with the people? Why won't you share the evidence with the deer farmer? They just arbitrarily decrease something. Trust with verification. Okay. The, the, the history of a CWD conflict is rife with examples of where the bureaucrats make claim. For example, here in Texas, Texas Parks and Wildlife have killed 86,000 deer for looking for CWD. So who's the biggest threat to Texas deer herd, CWD, or the state? The state is the biggest threat. Those are the conflicts that exist. And and to your point, and I suspect I represent a spirit in this room, and I often say it when I recover a deer on Spirit of the Wild television, what would our lives be without this critter? What a huge part of our lives. It's not our kids, and it's not our spouse, and it's not our job, but close what it represents to us as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a, as a, as a living thing, as, as a source of our, whether literal or, or historical food, clothing, shelter, medicine, tools, weapons, but mostly something that happens when you approach that dead animal. And it's almost like, a uh, a, a, a Disney movie, like, uh, spirit world it, it's so moving did you killed this thing but you didn't really kill it you accepted it because you dedicated yourself to to 
kill it cleanly. It's more of a gift than a, an accomplishment. I think. Am I speaking for you mm-hmm. guys? Yeah, I it's, understand 100. percent It's yeah. it's moving. That's why I often also express, and I suspect you guys do as well. Pity the human population that has never felt this. It, I, 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 and I'm going to expand. And thank you for allowing me. But we talk God, family, country, God-given individual freedoms, safe streets and neighborhoods, law and order. But we, in the year 2022, for all the advancements and all the concrete and all the electricity, we're living the original primal scream when we go out there, even before we kill it. But then when we finally kill it, it's, it can be, if you approach it with the right attitude, and that's where Fred Bear comes in, a, a, a pursuing game with the right attitude um, will cleanse the soul. There really is no world. And I made a joke earlier. It's not a joke. But when we're out there and we come to full draw, there is no Joe Biden. Joe Biden represents a real evil force. He's a, just a bad, bad man, a, a power-abusing, criminal, oath-violating, bad, bad man. I'd ask you more about that, but that's but but I've, we would be straying so— I have a you'll CWD have about, follow-up question. You'll, you'll have, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you'd, but, have to, you'd have to. The, a criticism of him in his intersection with CWD would be welcome. It, it, it is because okay. <laughs> because he represents the most abusive of bureaucracies. Okay, and I think that when you look at all the money wasted studying it and looking for it and killing all these herds and and that that. More wasteful money. That's another bureaucrat condemnation. But what? Okay, but where has CWD herd or deer herd? I can't point to a spot. And but I don't think I don't know anybody that is pointing to a spot. It could have changed right now. Like there could be areas. Maybe Cal could speak into on this. There may be areas where there has been a population level impact. My understanding is generally it is a what if scenario. I hate those. What I don't like, I the, reason, the reason I want to spend money on studying CWD is I am acutely and very personally concerned about what it would mean for my lifestyle if it turned out that there were people contracting a, sure. a, a prion disease sure. from eating infected deer meat. Like, of all the shit the government does, of all the shit they spend money on... Um, and I'm not going to stop that. I would like a little bit of that money to go toward answering a question that I'm very interested in. But we've, and I'm very interested in that question. That scares the shit out of me. It doesn't scare me at all because of all the money they've already spent and they haven't found the relationship. No. Um, they even have people who went to a fire department fundraiser yep. and they had 100 of them and 80 some submitted. They've been testing those people for 10 years. Yep. I know those studies. And, and, they, again, and they ate venison meatballs or some shit like that? Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Just torch our tax dollars, which is all the government really does. Uh, yeah, but, 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 but here's my question. I would question. think a guy like well, you... It's, it's not out of the question, though, because stuff like that has happened before. It's not out of the question. That's Here, the thing. Here's my question, though. <laughs> it's not out of the Wisconsin? question, here's the question. <laughs> Wisconsin uh, CWD, right? You, you turn in your, your head or your, or your lymph nodes and they say, yep, you have a, a positive test result. And you say, well, show me the test results. What, what do you mean in, in 
what would you do with those? Do you just want to see like the, I would like to get confirmation that they're not lying to me because they're so good at lying to me. I mean, when you call a, when you call a morning dove a songbird, that's a lie. When you say you can't eat a ribeye in the sky, that's just immoral. So they're capable of runaway lies. How about what a perfect setting in March of 2022 that we're discussing CWD in the whirlwind scam of masks and and a vaccine that isn't a vaccine. Yeah, but you vaccines be, but save you, can, you from stuff. This experimental shot jeopardizes you. But you can be mad about. But it's you and can I be am. mad about COVID shutdowns. And I'm mad. I was madder than everybody about COVID shutdowns. Not madder than me. You can be <laughs> Steve, mad. About, Steve was a pouting, pouting man. I pouted for two years. <laughs> I, did, I didn't. I didn't pout. I just dismissed it and lived okay, my life. But, but the question I is, is like, I how, does that, how does that become? How does that become like you can be mad about COVID, but how does that become you don't want information about a, a but we've, deer we've issue? got the information. We already got it. It's been around since 1967. I graduated high school in 1967. All they do is keep burning tax dollars and coming up with the same stuff. I, I really believe that the CWD scam, does it exist? Yes. Does the weaponized Wuhan virus exist? Yes. We paid for it. How dare we pay? for the communist Chinese, the weaponization of a virus. If that doesn't scare the living shit out of you that our bureaucrats and our government is capable of that, that treason, then how can you possibly trust those in charge of CWD? Well, $20 million. How about this? Colorado, $5 million grant for someone to come up with a system by which we can mitigate human and bear conflicts. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I, I'm the guitar, I wrote Wango Tango, and I can fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Open the season and use hounds and bait and don't there bury them in holes in the ground anymore by hiring the USDA hunter, which my buddy would be pissed off if he ended it because he's living the dream at our expense because it's immoral what they're doing. I believe that... The, the glaring inescapable evidence for us to distrust bureaucrats has never been more profound than it is right now. And I'm afraid after studying it as extensively as I have, and I suspect you as well, I respect your studies and I respect your concerns, but the jury is not still out. The jury is in and you're not going to get Crutzfeld Jacobs from chronic wasting disease positive animals and we'll never know because we're killing them and eating them. And how many examples are there? I, I, it's, can you count them on one hand where they've actually witnessed a deer with the CWD symptoms and went and killed that one to test it? Has there been 10 of them, 20 of them, 100 of them? I would say probably thousands. A, th a thousand examples? Well, I mean, I, I'm just Out of I'm an annual harvest of 10 million? So my point is, is that the bureaucrats, mankind, given a hint of power, they will abuse it. And I believe CWD is a manifest CWD is a manifestation of that, right in line with this whole weaponized Wuhan virus. But it's not a, a vaccine, and hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin is a treatment that has been incredibly successful. And when you deny person hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and put them on a ventilator, you're guilty of murder. Well, my buddy Dirt thinks that if you take a brass rod and rub it around in your nostril, it beats COVID. 
I'm not mad at him about I'm not mad about him, no. (laughs) Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life aura frames are beautiful wi-fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos these things are super cool as a gift especially if you got mom aunt grandma whoever and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to okay it's easy to upload and share photos via the aura app and if you're giving an aura as a gift You can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break-in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Just ask my buddy Chili, who's been slipping around in his Tacova boots, talking about how great he feels in them. He loves them. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable. They're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go around Bozeman. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Kale's up. On CWD, you do have the ability to see the results. Like, you... 
right? You pull the tarsal glands out. You can you right? can go do independent testing. That they have it, but now what? Yeah, but it, the it like you said, it, like it does exist. And the fact of the matter is, is like it came from somewhere. This is knowledge. Do you believe in our experience? Pretty experienced. But this is how things change, camp, right? Yeah. You take a, a biological thing and you put it in another biological thing. You shake it up. You pour that cocktail out, and eventually that cocktail changes. The the discovery in '67 in Colorado, um, I don't believe, was the initiation of the condition. I don't think that's when it started. I think they found it then. Mm -hmm. Even though we, the Colorado Division of Wildlife or whatever it was called at the time, um, there is an awful lot of evidence that they manipulated the conditions and actually injected deer with uh, scrapies. Now, I don't know if but that's true but or not. In all fairness, man, you see that as being when it was first identified. Identified. The same way like Lyme disease was first yep. identified yep. in Lyme, Connecticut, right? Like that that no didn't one mean says, it started like, No one says it was created. I don't, right. Maybe someone does. In all fairness, they point out it was identified there. Right. And so since then, since 1967, again, that's a long-ass time ago. Yeah. I've done a lot. And that I've was a lived, research facility. Yep. It, yeah. Government, bureaucrats, what are they doing? What are you, why are you doing that? Um, that goes to the telemetry stuff. And again, I'm all for that original telemetry because um, our, whether it's passenger pigeons, though I don't think we, we killed them. That was a, a colonization bird that uh, there's virus spread. Don't you wish you were around for passenger pigeons? Big Wouldn't time. that have been Big time. fun? Big Anyhow, time. <laughs> um, believe me, I make up for it with starlings and grackles. Songbird in Michigan. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, um, I'm at the point in my life after being engaged and being in the swirling dust of the arena um, that I am sitting here today with all the confidence in the world that I'm sure you recognize Government, virtually untrustworthy. Virtually, I, I can give you examples in every state where what they do is virtually proven to be immoral, dishonest, and counter to science in our conservation lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Population dynamics, habitat carrying capacity, sustained yield productivity. That's not mysterious. The jury is not still out on that. And again, when we initiated managed land deer permits in Texas, prior to the initiation of that policy where landowners determine our own bag limit, because somebody downtown certainly doesn't know what my deer herd looks like. They yeah. don't know what kind of varmint patrol, what kind of supplemental food plots I put in. Leave, leave me alone. And and so many exotics in Texas, the the flourishing uh, condition of axis deer, which are hands off by any government agency, landowners are the best stewards of such condition. And I believe that that would exist in every state if we could get past the blind obedience from the brainwashing since World War II, where people go, well, I don't have a gun permit. You don't need a gun permit. Do you have a, do you have a First Amendment permit? Is there a building where you don't have a first? Is there a place? On, is there a piece of ground in America you don't have a First Amendment? No, you have a First Amendment. You were born with it. I don't need paperwork. Same for Second Amendment. But when I say that publicly, they go, well, you don't think everybody should have a gun? I go, no, everybody will never have a gun. But I don't believe that rapists and murderers and carjackers and stabbers and shooters and child molesters should ever be let out of the cage. And if you stop letting them out of the cage by the very function of our failed court system, 
we would reduce violent crime by 98%. Not my number, the FBI Uniform Crime Report number. All this exploding violent crime, it's engineered. It's a direct result of their intentions. Well, it's gun crime. No, it's not. It's the guy who shot people you had in a cage and you let him out. What do you think he's going to do? Doesn't matter availability. Where do you get the gun? I don't know. Where where can't you get a gun? The regulated harvest, though, is the thing that uh, intrigues me. I I got a little sister who's a cop who's married to a cop in in Denver, and I, I I can talk the the other stuff a bunch too. But but what I'm saying hits home for you. Oh, absolutely. And and I, I I'll yeah. Anyway, um, regulated harvest here on. The spirit of the wild ranch is, or let's call it Texas, because my system is widespread, ninety-three sure. percent private property. Yeah, but you don't you have a, a fence around this place that yes. animals can't get out of, right? Yep, or right. come into, right? Right, by law, mm-hmm. right. So that's because we have exotics, right? So you have a a, a different system nope. here. Nope, there are MLD with no fences. Large landowners that know their habitat, no fence. And again, believe me when I tell you, I know it's hard to comprehend for Montana and wild Alaska hunters. Believe me, I hunted no fence in Alaska, and I hunted no fence in all across Canada and Montana and Wyoming and Colorado. You know what? The fence plays zero role. It's X habitat that will support X productivity. The same exists in the Manistee National Forest. Now, can they go further to get away, but how far can you shoot your bow? The fence plays no role whatsoever in the harvest. What does it, what role does it play? It keeps exotics from running into Buicks. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, what it does is it allows me to not shoot that three-year-old and that the neighbor won't shoot that three-year-old. That was the foundation of high fence hunting, mm. is that... And, and I'm all... I, my first deer kill, November 15th, 1968, was a huge button buck. I took it to the taxidermist. I go, oh, yeah, it's my first kill. And he goes, you're going to mount this? And I go, yeah, it's a buck feel. <laughs> it's, on the, it's on the wall. That's how I love it. That's you still how got pure that I am. Ted? You still that, got that mount? Yes, it's on my, cab, my cabin wall. Oh, up in Michigan. Yeah, in Michigan. Yeah. And you know what's next to it? A yearling doe that was my first bow kill. If that's not the purest trophy celebration Available to us, I don't know what would be. Okay, I'll get back to Manage Harvest. You got to dig in on this. Yeah, so I, I mean, it has. I, I'll, I'll agree with you that it doesn't have anything to do with with the harvest, but you also like set up your aquarium walls, so to speak. You have an area of operation to which you are God, yeah, the captain of your own Love ship. When that right? happens, <laughs> right? But I'm also God on my 1,200 acre Michigan swamp. No fence. Mm-hmm. Same ex- there, there is nothing I do on this high fence that I am not mandated to do on the no fence. Nothing changes. But for regulated harvest on your 1,200 open acres, like you decided one day to just shoot every buck that came through prior to the rut. Can't do that. Shouldn't do that. Could, of course you could, not. right? The, those animals aren't going to then well, you're, travel and, and yeah, spread their seed. Tell me how this connects to CWD. Oh, we're talking about regulated harvest now. Yeah, we're yeah. off CWD. But it's reference. It's 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 reference to that though, okay. because in where CWD is the most dangerous possibility is in under harvested herds, and mm. you could see that almost in every instance. I think where the the uh, the population is, if not out of control, certainly 
overpopulated. That being said, in Michigan, I harass the DNR bureaucrats because of all the slaughtered deer on the roads and no corn grows, no beans grow. There are deer everywhere. I got four tags on 1,200 acres. Well, that's irresponsible. And who can dictate that I let the public on my land? Nobody. So I pushed and pushed, and I, I brought him out. I almost had to grab him by the ankle. Come here, come here. Look at that. Where's the corn? Come over here. You know, like, like a, a school kid for, you know, smoking cigarettes. Um, and I said, I, I need 100 doe tags. Well, um, can't do that. And I go, you can't not do that. And they ran into a dead-end brick wall of a We the People guy living science versus their presumptive regulations. Like, in, in order to properly manage your property, you needed to remove that, that many does. Yep. And, and I do And you're year. the only guy to do it, right? Yep. That's what, okay. And, but, but they resisted, they resisted. I go, well, that's great. I'll do it. Um, by the way, we're filming this, and they offered me three doe tags. <laughs> and there's no corn gobbled everything up there you can see the browse line i'm smarter than them i'm i i'm more knowledgeable than them so i harassed them i said well i'll be sure to do a, a ted nugent uh, spirit of the wild tv show and show you your immorality and that you you you, you disdain the science of sustained yield and habitat carrying capacity that'll be a great show what's your name again i'll make sure i feature you and I, um, and I got up at the t time the governor was a was a a good guy, and I said, "This is what's going on." I said, "They're anti-hunting. They're anti-nature. They're anti-healthy environment. They're anti-freedom." So I finally got my doe tags, and I'm able to harvest a lot of does now because I do have a hunting family. We're able to take enough bucks, but. Does it really matter whether Shemaine shoots two and Toby shoots two and Rocco shoots two or, or we just harvest 10? But do you, do you disagree with sort of the, the, uh, like the foundational American principle that wildlife belongs to the American people? Absolutely. I'm 100%. You, you I'm one of those, agree with that. I'm one of those people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So here's one for you. So on a high fence, by law in Texas and wherever you find him, uh, you have to have them because you have the exotics, and even though the floods come and the fences come down, and next thing you know, there's a kudu downtown, which I think is awesome. Um, or the zebras running loose. That was a couple of years ago. That's, yeah. Yes, yeah. it's awesome. Who doesn't want to kill a zebra on opening day of deer season? <laughs> By the way, they're delicious. And there's a whole other subject to be scrutinized when I post pictures of zebras and kudu and elephants. People, well, I, I can see hunting for food, but not just to kill stuff. I go, well, where? Give me the name of somebody that does that. Give me, give me, share with us your last experience with someone who just kills stuff to kill stuff. What's got a name? Mm. This person doesn't exist unless they let them out of jail for doing that. And they go, why would anybody shoot a zebra? And I go, it's a, it's a deer with stripes. It's delicious. It's all, it's the, they're, they're food on the hoof. But I, I would and say there's a huge a, controversy the, out there. An outside connotation with whack 'em stack 'em doesn't lead people to the plate 
right? They go, oh, it whack certainly them, does. Them in. Do you really? Do you think? Do you think the guy in the tie at the Safari Club International Banquet that says, you know, is a, <laughs> we need to harvest an adequate supply of animals, talking like that? Do you think he's ever inspired any young person to ever buy a hunting license? Because my excitement level with whacking and stacking has caused thousands of young people to put down no. the crack pipe and hey, get a bow and arrow. And intense- so I dismissed that out of hand. You couldn't be more wrong. It's exactly what my excitement level does. With fun terms like whack them and stack them. Ted, have you hey, ever? Hey, he oh, he was the back. Let me just say, in Ted's defense, from the VHS tapes that I consumed, I don't he, need any. He, ta- he talked about backstraps, backstrap fever. I mean, he was the original guy that was talking about food. I'm just saying uh, that. Yeah, I mean, not, the, not Ted, the original guy yes. that talked about food, but you hear what I'm saying. Because no, I've always, Ted. Uh, um, I remember someone expressing something similar to. Uh, uh, I, can't, I wish I could remember. It's a famous quote expressing something similar to what Tez expressed is he was like, without great love, there cannot be disappointment. Okay. Or, or something such as that. Right. So I like Ted occupying the position you occupied. I remember one time, I don't want to name who said this. I remember one time someone being like grossly disappointed with Nugent because they were watching spirit of the wild and there was a date stamp and Ted was hunting in Texas on October 1st. And they were infuriated that how could the Motor City Madman, uh, how could he, that's Michigan's opening day of deer season. Yeah, Teddy Nuggets. Why would Ted not be in Michigan? And he was like, I'm tired of, he's, it's our opening day and he's in Texas. Like, you, you, like, you can't win. Petty, <laughs> petty, <laughs> petty. How? Just saying, you've petty. occupied, you've occupied that thing. Now to say to to say something like and and I can I see how it's received to throw out like whack them and stack them at least people be like what is getting whacked and where is it getting stacked? Do you have you ever in your life later laid in bed and thought you know I stand by what I was saying but I should have said it differently? Never. <laughs> <laughs> and if I if I need to explain what whack and stack means, I'm gonna. Call nine one one and get you some fucking help. Um, <laughs> no, listen, hey, hey, home. Hey, you know what? The most, the the most, the thing that shook me up the most is when you pointed out catching the limit of bluegills. Because yeah, you stay till you get your limit. It's a stack. You stack them. You stack them in a bucket. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, that, and that, and, and to go back and smelt. To the, it's a little bit of historical revision to go back to the nineties and 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 criticize a statement. Because back then, you mean when he was when he was well, in trouble with my friend for missing Michigan? Well, no, no, no I'm just saying I'm 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 defending the whack 'em and stack 'em statement because yeah, today yeah. in a world where you know maybe the more you know it would be you wouldn't say that as much in some circles, okay? Yeah, the, it, he he was coming out of a time when we were trying to make hunting relevant. And fun, and, fun. Mm-hmm. and exciting, yeah. and it introduced that. So it accomplished, I would say, a pretty significant purpose during that time. Yeah, not there's that, all but kinds you... of things I see in the hunting world. There's all kinds of things I see. Like I see it, and I'm like, I agree with it. I've done it too. Um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. But now and then you're just like, just, just come on. All right, like, let's put it this way. Think for a minute about like just think for a minute about the ram, the possible ramifications of of like what you're doing. Right, like to have that. I got a bear. I'm gonna put a baseball hat on him. I'm gonna sit him up in the car seat. And I'm gonna put a cigarette in his mouth. Right, the bear's dead. 
the bear's dead. You killed the bear legally. You're allowed to transport the bear. I wouldn't question any aspect. I, 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 like, I support everyone's right to hunt bears, you know, where we have a population that, that, warrant, that, that can support hunting. Which I is almost that. everywhere. I support your ability to, to transport your wildlife as you see fit. Top your car, back your car, on the hood. I, I support, I don't think there should be a law saying one shouldn't put a bear in a thing. If someone said there's a law against dressing dead bears up, I would be very incredulous of like how you're going to enforce that, what exactly it means. <laughs> and why but would does, you propose it? <laughs> but does that mean that it's smart to put a baseball hat on a bear and a cigarette in his mouth and drive around downtown? I believe that it's so inconsequential. In, so inconsequential that we're wasting our breath discussing it. Okay, that's a val- um, that's a totally valid point. <laughs> but I do look now and then. And I'm like, it, uh, among my own brothers and sisters, I look now and then. I'm like, man, it's just creating like it's just creating problems where there aren't any. You're, you're creating a dialogue that isn't I, necessary to create about whether or not you should be able to put hats on bears and cigarettes in their mouths. You know, if you look at the industry now, you watch all the different shows, whether it's Pigman or Tim Wells or, or Fred Eichler or uh, some of my favorite shows, and you see the ads by huge uh, hunting corporations, whack them and stack them, educated them that they better have energy. They better promote this sport with energy and enthusiasm and fun. Because if it's not fun, ain't nobody going to go. Mm. And I epitomize that, if, I, if, if you may, that I've never <laughs> been inhibited. I have no? fun with it. What is the difference between whacking and stacking and harvesting and butchering? Semantics. It's period. And you already gave and, your double middle finger and, to semantics. And yeah. how petty can you be? And it's the same embarrassing depth of pettiness that, I was, why wasn't Ted Nugent in Michigan on October 1st? Oh, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> but, you know, listen, that was my response at the time. That was my response at the time, and it's become something of a joke. However, I was just pointing out, hey. what, what I, I was setting the stage to be that a person in your situation is just inherently going to have people pecking at you let her rip peck away it again I'll, I'll, I'll try to summarize it like this and it's it's conclusive and the the d- definition of summary families with terminally ill sons and daughters five six seven year old little boys and girls for whatever reason i think i know the reasons because of my enthusiasm because of my energy on spirit of the wild for 33 years i've been doing this that little boy macon lynn six years old gonna die of cancer in six months Mm -hmm. his last request in life was to go hunting with ted nugent so guys that are more polite guys that won't whack them and stack them people that won't put a cigarette in the bear's mouth Macon Lynn doesn't even know they exist. Oh, but you didn't put a cigarette in a bear's mouth. I, next bear I kill, I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, these little boys and girls, their families, is there a more demanding vetting procedure whether you deserve to take my little boy on his last hunt than a family at that emotional, mm-hmm. horrible time in their lives to call the whackmaster? If I qualify for that, my critics can kiss my ass and i've done it dozens of times if i have earned that you rest your case i'm untouchable no how about that how about uh chris chris campbell navy seal who went to save uh marcus luttrell 
and the, the, chop, the chopper crashed. His will and testament was that he wants Ted Nugent to play Fred Bear at his funeral. Critics, bring it. And here's the ultimate. This will leave you hurt. So Marcus called me and said, Chris's family would like you to play Fred Bear when his remains come home. When and where? Got my guitar and amp. Got a buddy with a jet. Getting ready to go on to go to Norfolk. And Marcus called back and said, you've been disinvited by President Barack Obama. He won't allow you there. So the president, the commander-in-chief, who I am diametrically opposed to on every issue, every breath the man takes. That's his stand to say, fuck you to a Navy SEAL who died for our country by declining that dead SEAL's request and disinviting Ted Nugent to play Fred Bear at the return of his remains. I'm the good guy. My critics are bad guys. Is that thing that happened? That's exactly what happened. So I did a private one for his family at a different time. But how low can you go if you're the commander-in-chief of the United States of America and a dead SEAL has a request and you decline it because you don't like the guy involved with the request? How beautiful am I? I I can hardly stand me. I'm so fucking good. If that kind of evil is that against me, that's why my confidence cup runneth over because that little kid's family thinks I'm okay to fulfill his their dying son's request, and that Navy SEAL wants me to play that song, <laughs> I, it's, I'm surprised my feet touch the ground. It's a blessing. It's a gift. I'm humbled by it. I'm honored beyond words. But those indicators in my life make people who are upset with me for not being in Michigan on October 1st the, so stupid, it's hysterical. Mm-hmm. Uh, my priorities have obviously been well aimed that Fred Bear said keep doing what you're doing that the family of a dying child thinks I qualify to fulfill a dying request and a Navy SEALs family wants me to play that Fred Bear song at his funeral I mean is there is there other more powerful indicators in life can you name any I can't or that my my own family relationship or that you're here to do an interview with me. I qualify for the Meat Eater podcast. Um, I have enough... That's indica- a high-ass bar. <laughs> That's a high-ass bar. Um, it's, it, it is. Um, and I know I'm controversial because in a world gone berserk, good is controversial. Well, I, I got to tell you, you know, there's a long period of my life where I had, was outside all the time ingested very very little hunting media or media of any sort and uh you know clay and i were talking on the ride over here to the ranch this morning i'm like where we know ted nugent from essentially right Mm -hmm. so um and i have one article i was always always aware of of ted nugent but you're like rocker fame stardom guy and truly i didn't give you I, you know, like you see with people on TV, I was like, I don't know if this guy's what he actually is. <laughs> it's all an act. But I, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a good paycheck there. And uh, I pick up a magazine off the back of my buddy's toilet. 
started going through it and I'm reading about, it, it was like an opening day type of scene of elk hunting. And it's one of your articles and man, I'm, I'm there. I'm, you're, you're talking about the, the woods coming alive and the elk are bugling. It's dark. You're not in them yet, but you know, it's going to happen. And I'm guiding out. I'm a full-time elk guide at, at this point. Right. And I, and I'm, I'm living it. I'm there. And then the reveal starts happening and, and you're like, you know, I'm like, I, I turn in my stand and I'm like, Oh, a guy's hunting out of a stand. Huh? Okay. Sure. Still there. Still painting the scene. And then you're on, I think you even described like a feeder going off or you're, you describe well, I've never a high fence. An elk over a feeder, but I would. Okay. Well, I, it's a long time ago. So, um, this is like how the ages have progressed anyway, but you were in a, a high fence place and I was just like, nope, this guy, nope, I don't, nope, not legit, not, nope, this isn't 100% how you do it, right? legit, yep. And, I was elk hunting, perfect. And, and you know, it's, it's truly on, only come to now where I'm like, oh, this guy has, you can't ignore the passion that this man has. And there, none of my bullshit meters are, are going off on when you talk about the animals and the outside and, and the whys. But, I mean, that's a big span of time from that article where I'm like, oh, this guy isn't doing it the way I do it. So he must not be But I do good, do it the way right? you do it. I hunted Alaska in 77, got a moose, got a bear, got a 400-inch caribou. I hunted the Sudan. I was the last white guy to get out of the Sudan alive. There's no fences. I hunted all across the world, no fences. I hunted all of Manistee National Forest. I hunted wild everywhere. I've hunted everywhere. No fences. But sometimes I hunt in a fence. Some people's land is in a fence. My land is in a fence because I want to hunt oryx and awdad and blackbuck. And it's as real. It's even far more difficult than no fence Sudan or no, no fence Zimbabwe or quite honestly, no fence Illinois or especially no fence South Texas. You want dumb, retarded animals. <laughs> Go down to South Texas and, and make the sound of a of a corn feeder going off and i'm all for that because i like to kill stuff with my bow and arrow i like to get close i've done it all and i will continue to do it all i still my michigan ground i have a high fence in michigan but my 1200 acres is all wild wild ground and i'll give you a bow and arrow and if you can kill a deer on my ground you can have it good luck they're the smartest animals in the world and here on this property you get your bow and arrow you you can have whatever you kill and you ain't gonna kill shit He's the <laughs> smartest, spookiest animals. You better be Cochise meets uh, Natty Bumpo because these, these uh, animals are spookier than my Michigan swamp animals. These animals are so tuned in. So I hunt for the hunt, and all my hunts are the hunt. Now, do I desire a dumb deer? I deserve a dumb deer. I, I need a dumb deer after a few weeks of hunting. And if you want that, Go to Illinois next to one of those forest preserves. Those are wild deer. There's no fences, but they're dumb. Kansas, some dumb deer. Um, Ohio, some dumb deer compared to my Michigan deer. Um, uh, my, my first uh, white tail in Wyoming up there near uh, Devil's Tower. God, that was the easiest deer I've ever killed in my life. A hundred yards away, and they don't even care if you're there. <laughs> I'd never seen a deer like that in my life. 
and I couldn't wait to go back because I'm sick and tired of white tails and snorts. Um, so I've done it all. I Back when I was hunting Alaska every year, every year from 77, and the wilds of Africa, still hunting with a bow and arrow, I didn't film any of that because there was no uh, outdoor TV, and I didn't even have any idea. I just wanted to go hunting. So I, I do hunt the way you hunt. Yeah, I guess my, my point, though, is, is that... Uh... At, at that that point of reading the article, I, I thought we, you and I were, were quite opposed. And it just takes a long just time. Just because of the high fence yeah, condition. Yeah, to, to come full circle. Well, because I also had this image of like, guy's got this big lifestyle that's far outside of hunting. Right? Touring, rock and roll. Awesome. All the things that you think about, right? <laughs> awesome yes, stuff, man. exactly. So it's now so you're funny. saying you, can, you connect with him and you see some of the positions he's got. Yeah, but it, it's taken a hell of a long time. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, yeah. What I've always, I have never doubted, um, even in the areas where you've said things, and I'm like, man, I wish you wouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> uh like, I agree with the sentiment. I just wish you wouldn't have expressed it that way. It's it's always been where I have always known and felt that we were in large measure talking about the same things. I, I, I mean, I've known since those days in the late 80s, early 90s, that you uh, did find that, like, that, that, that sentence that you've said many times, like the spirit of the wild, or that phrase, the spirit of the wild, that you felt that spirituality. Sure. And, and promoted it. And, and connected with it. Fuck, I've never doubted that shit. I've never doubted that. It's just, yeah, at times I have, and, and because you, of the role you're in, at times I've just been, oh. Well, let me, let, let me, me. Can I summarize? Oh, yeah. Like, can I summarize Ted, something that's Ted, unique Ted, that's happening here yeah. that I can, maybe I could say, is that you guys, it's interesting sitting here with Steve Rinella and Ted Nugent because you your passion for hunting and the way you articulate it and the excitement and all the things that you did years ago that formulated stuff. I think you had a big influence on Steve Rinella. Absolutely. Who, who, I mean, a very positive influence on the way, like talking about the spirit of the wild, when in his own words, Steve talks about the exact same thing. I, I, see I, I think, when I was think a kid was, and you learned to play, I never learned to play guitar. When I was a kid, you learned to play guitar. The first thing you learned how to play was Fred Bear. Yeah. Oh boy! I mean, it's well, just like, did you do that? Though, on, let me let me make did you my do point. That on guitar? Uh, no, I never never touched. We guitar. need to hear him play. We need to hear him play Fred Bear. But no, go ahead. You but but so Steve Rinella is the guy that came on the scene, you know, ten fifteen years ago that brought a new academic, intellectual kind of draw into hunting that a whole bunch of people have been like, man, we never heard anybody talk about hunting like that. Sure. And it was an appeal. It was the same thing you did. It really was. No, no doubt. What, what I've, I've did, seen that. Sure. I what he that. did was the same thing that you did. And it's it's interesting to see y'all sitting together because probably 90% of the stuff y'all would probably agree on. And the, the messaging and the frequency of the messaging is slightly different. And I I feel like what Ted's position is is – Hey, we are what we are. There's no reason to lean any direction to try to accommodate anybody. And like, there's this like stance of just this is who we are. Yeah, you've come in 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 a way that we all deeply respect. Have have catered the message of hunting in like probably a broader way. So here's my question. I, here's I'm, my I'm question. I'm very uneasy with that assessment. Okay, but go ahead. Okay, well, it, it, and it's not perfect, <laughs> but. Um, 
So my question is, you know, I think, well, my assessment is that I think there's a place where you, you stand and say, hey, this is just who we are. We whack them and stack them. It's just kind of what we do. And that's what we've been doing for, you know, thousands of years. And that's just who we are as humans. We're not changing. And then, but then there's also the side of the equation where we, you know, cater would be the wrong word, but where we appeal, make our message more appealing to a broader audience do you see what I'm saying? Uh, yes, like there's yes, two sure. things going on. Have you ever thought about being a marriage counselor? If I may, <laughs> if I may, one of the reasons. <laughs> Will you guys scoot closer and hold hands? <laughs> one, one, of, one of the reasons that you're uncomfortable with some of my uh, deliveries, and you were uncomfortable with some of my deliveries, is because before there was the term political correctness, political correctness was beginning to happen, uh-huh. and in the hunting Second Amendment community. Our so-called leaders were afraid of their own shadow. In Outdoor Life magazine, they would actually say, don't wear camouflage in public and don't bring up the hunting. It makes people uncomfortable. It's just the, the total opposite approach you should take. But, the, but I, like, I've spent my whole, my, my whole career has been talking about hunting. My whole career is identifying as a hunter. Sure. I've never done anything other than talk about professionally and otherwise. I've never done anything other than hunt since before I was supposed to, before I was legally allowed to do it, to now, and talk about hunting. However, at times, like, I have strong opinions about how I like to explain it, or not how I, I have strong opinions about how to explain it so that people are most likely to get what I'm saying and get on board with what my program is. And a salute to you, because you do a great job at that. The whole concept of meat eater, it galvanizes the entire process of the hunt that the fruition is sustenance. I, so I, 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 I salute you I'm not sitting there being like, oh, no, 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 don't show that. That's dirty and naughty. That's not it. I'm like, listen, there's a lot to be proud of here. Um, I just have opinions about how I like to And you do a fine job. Express and I, I support 100% and the you way you do it. it long before me. And I and I I don't even like to be in here. I don't even like to be in here acting like there's sort of like you're what you've done, what I've done, and, and juxtaposing it all. You've been there long before me. I've just like as as a point, we've talked about a couple of areas, CWD and whacking them and stacking them is a point where I'm like, I'm like, Ted, man, I, I just wish you thought about this a little differently. Well, I've, I've, th- I've thought about it a lot, and I'm not going to think about it differently because I think the Nor best... Nor would I expect you to. I think the best remedy against denial, um, propaganda against hunting, propaganda against venison, propaganda against a, a self-sufficient lifestyle, which uh-huh. is what we embody yeah. and what you promote beautifully, I think I promote it more effectively okay. because I'm uninhibited and that that you'll never well I was going to I was going to say you will never address the outside demographic but you have you've lured in an outside demographic He's because done that a lot because there was an establishment of field to table prior to meat eater and yeah. you you maximize that delivery mm-hmm. in a well, per, in a perfect but, way but there's more to it because here's the thing Corinne's giving me the wrap it up let me, let me just say one last That'll thing. That'll be the day. Okay. <laughs> Look at it like this for a second, though. If it, let, let's say you're addressing the American public. I do. Every okay, day. Yep, I know. You, okay. Corinne, this uh, is the, what people came to this podcast to hear. No, so, I know. This is good. Let's say one's addressing the American public, and their interest is that they want to be able to continue. Um, they want to be able to continue their lifestyle of hunting, 
and they want to make sure that there is a lot of wild animals around, okay? And they come to the American public and they're like, okay, in the back of my head, I'm trying to preserve my lifestyle and preserve something that I feel is beautiful and right, which is hunting. And perfect. Hunting, fishing, trapping, like these things that are like right, traditional use practices need to be defended. And I have like- Promoted, not defended. Okay, preserved. Defended, promoted, preserved, whatever. And I have one minute to speak to him about it. I might be more inclined to take my minute and say something like, um, there's, there's a system that works very well and we've fine-tuned it in this country where we have biologists and others that count population levels and determine the long-term that are, that are tasked with guaranteeing the long-term viability of these species and they determine that, they, they set regulations by which we abide. This is not a free-for-all. We're not driving game animals to extinction. Quite the opposite. The things that are thriving most in this country are the things that have hunter's interest. Your minute's up, by the way. Okay. That was your minute. That was awesome. But like, I would tend to take an approach like that. Well, you, and, I, you, and need to do my, more, you need to do more homework. Did you see? <laughs> did, I'm serious. Don't laugh at it. You need no, to no, do more homework. Please. Did you see my VH1 hunting special? You didn't see it, did you? Did you see my MTV yes. uh, hunting special? Don't tell me I didn't see this stuff. Uh, did you see them? Yes. Because I articulated that profoundly. I never said that you didn't articulate Well, it. good. But you said, given a minute, you do it your system. You did it good. But guess who's done it better longer and to thousands of times more people than you have in, Phil. in all across europe all across when was, the, when was the last time you were on tucker carlson explaining sustained yield wildlife habitat well i, I my point I, is, I, is I i'm have, not uh, i'm not i got i got i can't tell you well i'm going to get you on it because you do a great job <laughs> but my point is is that the point you just made is the exact point i have i'm not made. saying you don't oh, I'm, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not he, saying he's not, he's not, he's not I'm totally so agree. haven't made the point but, he's but just it, saying he would say it different but the, but the real I, I just think I we don't like, say it different we say it exactly the same but I when you go do, like well here's what we do is we whack them and then stack them i just know that's so oversimplification that it, is another grossly, example of me not being in michigan on october 1st it's grossly <laughs> it's you're right it's grossly, grossly oversimplified. oversimplified and he's but, not he's not criticizing you for that i know and i'm not criticizing him two different ways it's a thing that people here and misinterpret well all i can tell you is that my my vapor trail of recruitment and retention unparalleled unparalleled i would and you know never why? ever I, deny and, it and i you know why because i'm uppity i'm believable i know my science i'm able to articulate my science and then embellish it because i'm just typically an uppity guy i'm very much alive but that uppityness and aliveness is the contagious factor mm -hmm. that's what draws them in and here's an example and again i'm not bragging i know what i do and again the deer will hum humble me immensely later on as as will mrs nugent but when i go to a shot show okay you can promote with all due respect i haven't been there lately with you and I mean this with respect, you can promote Steve Renault at 2 o'clock at the X booth. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Michael Waddell, 2 p.m. You can promote all the biggest names in our industry. We won't touch Newton. Ryan Callahan, 3.30. I will... 3.15 to 3.30. I, I will stop to tie my shoe and have more people around me than all of you guys put together. Not at a rock and roll event. Yep. 
at a hunting event. That's no a touch, con- that's no a touch anecdotal. No uh, contest it, for me. But it, but zero, zero, and no, it's not anecdotal. Zero, it's universal. Zero contest for me. Steve Rella right, didn't but, write I mean, tied it, up in love, though. So. I know. And, <laughs> and, and when I'm at, I've got the highest votes ever for 28 years on the board of directors of the NRA, except for Charlton Aston. Why? Because I'm absolute and I embellish. I don't intentionally embellish. It's just the way I talk. It's, it's more exciting. It's more Wang Dang, Sweet Poon Tang than <laughs> Billy Joel. Um, so, so my point is, is Billy, that I, and I know you're not Billy Joel, Wang Dang, Sweet Poon Tang. My point is, is that, yes, I concur. <laughs> A slightly different approach. My, my uppityness, passion, is so contagious. And so, and they know that I'm not trying to hide anything, and neither are you. you do, again, I can't, I can't salute your style enough. It's awesome. The whole meat eater concept is perfect. But so is hitting a demographic that will never, ever watch your show. Mm-hmm. And I've caused them in many instances, I don't know the numbers, but I know it's meaningful to buy a bow and arrow. Yeah. And to go, buy a hunting license. And to join us, so I if would. That, I, if that is your like, if that is your measure, I. I that's would, the only measure. No, is there another measure? I'm just saying, if that is one's measure, undeniably, I would never, ever, ever come here and suggest anything other than that you are the most impactful, <laughs> alive human being today in the world of hunting. There is no like. There, there's not even a second place. Because I take advantage of every public opportunity to promote it with passion and rock and roll em- and uh, uh, embellishment. That's the only word that comes to mind. And so the people who are, like when I did the Joe Rogan thing, and he'll tell you that the response about the, the, the vapor trail of the tractor and the disc and the plow, no one had ever heard that before. No one had ever known that in order to grow tofu, you got to kill everything. And yeah. anything that might slither back into that tofu field, we're going to call Mansano. We're going to poison the shit out of them. Um, so your tofu salad is more or, deadly. Or, or your friends at Wildlife Services. Yes. Your <laughs> tofu salad is more deadly than if Ted Nugent traded his bow and arrow in for an A-10 warthog. Um, you can't kill more stuff than the growing of vegetables and wine. It's the, it's the definitive genocide of anything threatening those agriculture products. No one has ever even mentioned that before because I'm the only guy in the public visibility that actually runs a tractor and likes the seagulls and the crows following me. And, and I know that I'm slaughtering everything so I can grow lettuce or whatever crop I'm growing. So it's that boots on the ground understanding the communication needs of conservation to a distant disconnected demographic and i've drawn them in Mm -hmm. um do i piss some people off yeah mostly people in the industry (laughs) that that don't get it that will never recruit anybody it's literally like i'm saving kids from the whitewater rapids and the the swimming coach is angry (laughs) and cal's english teacher in missoula montana yes yes exactly he cussed he was cussing just cussing and swearing he saved the children but did you see that speedo you you would have made my mama mad too buddy (laughs) i made my mama mad actually my mama loved this shit so my my point is that i'm a spirited unafraid unapologetic absolutist and i do PG-13 it. 
because I speak to a lot of young organizations on, T, on Spirit of the Wild, I know that I have a, a, an unprecedented youthful demographic, even though I'm one of the oldest guys on there, on TV, because of my exuberance, because of my, I'm unafraid. And you didn't uh, adjust your style because you felt that you had to reach a, an expanded demographic. I think it's really you. I didn't yeah. make. I don't. I never. No, you imagined, just do. You just do, Steve. I, yeah, I and never imagined great. making a style. It's just like there's a thing I cared about, and that's how I cared about it. That's how I That's why I'm saying y'all did the same thing. My motivation completely. I could care less whether I make people happy or angry. I'm, this is what I believe, and this is how I present it. And it. I'm not for everybody. You're not for everybody. But thank God we're both in the same team. That's right. Are there? Are there? Do, what are you afraid of? Nothing. Nothing at all. Not even this. You don't feel a day. You don't feel like a weekly, daily, like a fear of something. Nothing. Never. Anything. It's because I've carved out this unbelievable dream. Holy. Look at what I live. I mean, I live on paradise here in my Michigan. You got to come to Michigan. My swamp. I have a fen. I have the largest fen east of the Mississippi. That's a unique wetland. Cool. Yeah. Um, and the biologists come because I got the Mitchell Satter butterfly that's thriving, that's almost extinct everywhere else. And the Christmas tree fern, which they claim, claim the Mitchell Satter butterfly needs to propagate. And they all the biologists go, you know why your fen is so healthy? Because you must kill a lot of deer. <laughs> yep. So I know what sustained yield is. I know what habitat carrying capacity. I'm the first guy to bring those terms into the public arena. Mm -hmm. I was the first guy to do that. Nobody from SCI ever did that. Nobody, not only that, but they're not allowed in the public arena because they're too stodgy. Yeah. Um, so so I, I've carved out a dream where I'm, I'm really not afraid of anything. Um, you fuck with me, you lose. Um, <laughs> And and I I live this independent, cocky, confident, righteous, do good lifestyle, and it's so simple. That's why my music is so raw. I mean, I have a new record coming out next month. It's I was gonna ask no about way. that. Just a yeah, he had a record come out last year. Just like was it just pre-COVID? He had a record come yeah, out. Yeah, um, the, the music made me do the it. The music made me do it. Monster song. This new record. Holy God, what a riot! Um, so yeah, I've, I'm old, but I'm healthy, uh, and I I live a perfect life. It's just I I want for nothing. Guys, you one last question. Go nuts. There are many concerns, but if you have uh, advice for outdoorsmen, let's even say outdoorsmen and outdoors women. Yes, you have advice for them. What would you like? What is the piece of advice you have for people that want to preserve a lifestyle? Well, every problem in America can be traced down to conservatives not engaging. And again, what's what's conservative values? God, family, country. Constitution, Bill of Rights, that work ethic, that entrepreneurial spirit, that man in the arena, law and order, all those things I just mentioned are not only the foundational values that made this the greatest quality of life in the history of the world, but they're also very controversial today. All the best things about America are considered controversial. So we've discovered through our Hunter Nation organization, the people go to hunternation.org, they can see the statistics. We bought the list of every licensed hunter in America. 
back in 2016 when we saw an outsider campaigning for the presidency against a horrible, horrible power-abusing criminal Clinton organization. And when what we discovered was so heartbreaking that in every state there's an enormous and consequential percentage of licensed hunters that are not registered to vote and that have never registered to vote. Hmm. But they're also the loudest squawkers about infringements on Second Amendment rights, um, regulations, hunting regulations, hunting, fishing, and trapping, which I've always used the big three, hunting, fishing, and trapping. They're all critical, essential conservation uh, endeavors that an embarrassing percentage of licensed hunters don't vote. We got Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. What did you say it was in Texas? Over 60% of licensed hunters in Texas have never registered to vote. How could that be true? How can that be true? Wisconsin, 50%. Michigan, 50-some percent. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, the big three, even though Texas is more powerful and more uh, 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 inclusive than those three states. In 2016, I campaigned um, maniacally in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania to basically inspire slash scold Mm. what I consider to be the most defined conservative demographic, a licensed hunter. All those basic traditional family values are, they embody the hunting lifestyle, the hunting family. And we got them to register and vote in 2016, and we won. Though as a 501c3, I can't endorse a candidate, and I never did. But when you mention God, family, and country, you know who that doesn't include. And all across this country, every state has an embarrassing percentage of licensed hunters that are not engaged. And again, I'm controversial because I've always been engaged. When I see stupid regulations, I protest. When I see Scott County Park and Brown County Park, no hunting allowed, and it looks like a moonscape, and it's all dirt and and ribby deer, uh, we attended meetings uh, with the bureaucrats and we opened up bow hunting in those states and the vegetation, the habitat came back and the diversity came back and revenues were generated and family hours of recreation were generated. And it didn't happen just by buying a hunting license. No, it happened by lobbying and by showing up at these committee hearings and raising hell and identifying the embarrassment of uh, environmental destruction when you don't harvest responsibly. And so I've seen how just speaking up can change stupid into good. Um, and that's what, that's what I've always been involved with when I see regulations. Like in Michigan, even if you had a concealed weapons permit, which you don't need, ultimately you don't need a permit from anybody to carry a gun. God gave you the right to keep and bear arms. But even if you had a permit, which I did back in the 60s and 70s, you couldn't carry a pistol when you're bow hunting. <laughs> How do you square that? Since when does self-defense have anything to do with recreational concerns? Mm-hmm. And so I lobbied against that. There were 11 counties in Michigan you couldn't hunt on Sundays. My brain didn't know what to do with this information. It was just insane, which it is. So I lobbied and got those counties legalized. Steve, did you know, you must know, in Michigan until 1975, the government said, you can't climb a tree and hunt. Mm-hmm. Have you got to be there's a man in charge of my tree climbing i want to meet this guy <laughs> i'm going to hire mike tyson whenever anybody does something stupid i'm going to say mike give that guy one in the throat would you just punch him because how insane re- regulating somebody out of a tree how yeah. embarrassing is that 
So, so yeah, I've, uh, I've, but I've, I like that you, uh, you work within the system often. Yeah, by expanding the system to include yeah. common sense. <laughs> but yeah, you, but you, you, uh, half of you rebels against it, but half of you is very willing to engage in it. I, well, I think to, to, it, to get think, to get the change you're after, you're like, there's a civil dis. You have you have like a strong civil disobedience vein. While pushing Count- to make it legal. Yeah, but then yes. you also have a policy vein. And I think uh, the ultimate re- rebellion is engagement. And again, this yeah. is an experiment that, in that's self-government. The, that's, that's the thing that glues them together, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. And yeah. I think they're one and the same in actual practice. And so uh, when I see stupid, I attack it. And I spotlight what makes it stupid so that people who have accepted stupid finally goes, yeah, that is stupid. <laughs> you, know, you know, Cal spends a good part of his uh, personal and professional life cajoling people into engagement. Yes, sometimes <laughs> it takes advocacy, right? Cal's week yes. in review. And all you hear is, talk about hunting and keep politics out of it. Oh I'm my like, well, God. if you want your hunting, <laughs> it is politics. My God, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> what is more political than hunting regulations. Oh, I, I, man. It's so, yeah, it's dry, driven me crazy. And that's where you hear the the squawking within the industry. Ah, Nugent's radical. Well, you, yeah, hello? <laughs> of course I'm <laughs> radical. How dare I experiment self-government? That's the most radical thing in the history of the human experience. I'm really swinging over to this Uncle Ted moniker that <laughs> you Michiganders have. we got a lot in common, Ted. Well, hey, it, Ted, you, hey, Ted, you would love his podcast for real. It's thirty I need minutes. To, I need to tap into this core information. Be sure you detail. dump on me how to access all these things, and out in my spirit uh, campfire, you should witness. Oh, because awesome. it's all over. Yeah. The, I want to do it. It's I all over the it. map. It's guitar playing, and it's social stuff. It's silly stuff. It's hardcore stuff. It's condemnation of power abusers and illegitimacy that infests our government. Uh, but it's also fun, outrageous, defiant uninhibited, irreverent, all of, all of my favorite things. Irreverence You're is smiling. the most important. Very, very irreverence is man. the most important. We need, a, we need a meat eater episode with you two in, in Michigan. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about this? Let me leave you with this. Another no, one. No, that's what I got to leave you with. Can you give us, so I don't have to argue with a bunch of people, can you right now give us the verbal okay? Is it, are you legally allowed to say that we can close the episode with Fred Bear? Absolutely. In fact, I insist. Like it's some, some annoying person's not going to give us a cease I and think, desist? I think you right. should open it, at least with that opening chorus. Shang, da, da, yep. da, and we'll, and That's the ultimate. We recently used it. Uh, we do a trivia show. And we recently, do the whole thing. We recently used it, a clip on the trivia show. I would use every, all of the above. I have a song on the new record called American Campfire and a song <laughs> called a song called Winter, Spring, Summer, Fall. That's re- I'll play it for you. Um, that's just beautiful. Have you ever heard my instrumental Sunrise? Oh, yeah. Oh, what a, if that doesn't me? capture our, you're getting to the location and waiting for the life to come alive around us. That, that only I could have written that. And it was spontaneous. I, the guy, Michael Lutz in Ann Arbor had a new recording device. And I go, well, I got my six-string Fender bass here. Um, here re- put a mic in here. Let's do this. Take one. I made that song. Huh. Out of no... That's how Fred Bear happened. Take one. I showed it to my guys in between sobbing, and we recorded it. Take one. Yeah. So, yeah, use that stuff. Use Sunrise. It's a beautiful... It's the, I'm the only guy who's created really outdoorsy music. 
That's yeah. also ballsy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now you got it. <laughs> well, who else? What other song is outdoorsy? Oh, Don't give that. me this well, country outdoorsy crap. and see, there's outdoorsy and then there's outdoorsy and ballsy. Yes. <laughs> outdoorsy well, but, and ballsy. But sunrise, sunrise is a beautiful, it's a it's symphonic. Yeah. And winter, spring, summer, fall. I have a song on my last couple albums ago called uh, uh, Earth Tones that is just just orchestrated. Amboy Dukes, hibernation, migration. Check out the song Migration on the first Amboy Dukes, a beautiful instrumental orchestrated symphonic, you know, crescendo. Here comes the elk. It's, I, I, I unleash that in my music. I'm very, very proud of that. All right. Well, this good is Nugent. One. This was great. Ted, Deadly Tedly. You people deserve me. You are, <laughs> you are special people. <laughs> thank you. I've always thank said you, if sir. you're not having fun with me, you're weird. You know? <laughs> All right, thank you very much, thank man. You very well. God great. bless you. Yeah, man. thanks, Ted. We're at a stranglehold. It's stranglehold. It's amazing. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana. They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms I like them because it gives you hand-free calling meaning when you're working a bird up close you can have your gun on your knee finger on the trigger ready to roll and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.